kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? gentlemen it's monday night and welcome to another edition of auntie nanny uh with me this evening is the bubbly and vivacious miss Jeannie k how are you this evening miss Jeannie? i'm not lovely and vivacious i read the show notes <laughs> i'm sorry uh yeah no they're not fun when are one of the show notes ever fun and the very best producer money can't buy which is good because i'm still not paying him after a couple of years very boring. How are you this evening, Barry? I'm good. Okay. Tro- trolling interesting brands of wine, as you may have noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Alex will be along when he comes along. Uh, now that we're using Discord, which I really like, by the way. I love Discord. Discord works even during electrical storms and everything else, which is a big upgrade for me from Skype. Um, and I think when Skype goes completely cloud-based, uh, a lot of people are going to have problems. So Discord is really a great alternative because they also have phone apps. Oh, wait, wait. You you said Skype. So right, get right. this. Okay. I I only have Skype on this desktop. That's okay, it. Okay. I don't have it on my phone, and I don't have it on my laptop. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep, yep. My My laptop, fuck you, Bill Gates... <laughs> my laptop updated itself the other day mm-hmm. well okay fine whatever I don't do anything on my laptop but surf the damn internet anyway so BFD right, right. wrong I'm sitting the there yeah I'm sitting there last night and I'm listening to a show and all of a sudden this little bubble pops up in the right hand corner of my screen and says so and so sent me a message on Skype click here to reply That's because Skype is integrated into Windows now. Mm. Yes. Skype, Skype is now is part, of, part the of the malware formerly known as Windows. <laughs> that That's some bullshit right there. I was not happy. Mm-mm. I don't blame you. Um, yeah. I, like I said, at some point, Alex will be joining us. I don't know when. He'll just pop up. Um, Jeannie, have you got a favorite? From any of tonight's shows that you would like to, any of tonight's stories that you would like to go with first. Well, you can either go with the fact that Arizona lost his fucking mind, or the fact that, you know, the TSA is just going to be begging for more fucking money. 
yeah. Okay. Um, how about we start with Arizona? Cause that's always fun. Not, um, if you change a baby's diaper in Arizona, you can now be convicted of child molestation. Um, so that's fun. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. So I, I did do some due diligence on it and it's dead on. Um, the Arizona Supreme Court issued a stunning and horrifying decision on Tuesday interpreting a state law to criminalize any contact between an adult and a child's genitals. According to the court, the law's sweep encompasses wholly innocent conduct, such as changing a diaper or bathing a baby. As the Stain dissent notes, parents and other caregivers in the state are now considered to be child molesters or sex abusers under Arizona's law. Those convicted under the statute may be imprisoned for five years. How did this happen? A combination of bad legislating and terrible judging. Start with the legislature, which passed laws forbidding any person from intentionally or unknowingly touching, uh, intentionally or knowingly touching any part of the genitals, anus, or female breast of a child under the age of 15 years of age. Notice something odd about that. Although the laws call such contact child molestation or sexual abuse, the statutes themselves do not require the touching to be sexual in nature. No other state's laws exclude this element of improper sexual intent. Indeed, read literally, the statutes would seem to prohibit parents from changing their child's diaper. And the measures forbid both direct and indirect touching, meaning parents cannot even bathe their child without becoming sexual abusers under the law. Arizona's Supreme Court had an opportunity to remedy this glaring problem. A man convicted under these laws urged the justices to limit the statute's scope by interpreting the touching element to require some sexual intent. But by a 3-2 vote, the court refused and declared that the law criminalized completely innocent touching of a child. Uh, the majority decided to rewrite the statutes to require the state to prove the sexual motivation when the statutes clearly contain no such requirement. Moreover, the court held that the laws posed no due process problems because those prosecuted under the statute could still set a lack of sexual motivation as an affirmative defense at trial, one the defendant himself must prove to a jury by predominance of evidence. Uh, as to the risk that the law criminalizes typical parental tasks, the majority shrugs that the prosecutors are unlikely to charge parents engaged in innocent conduct. This just proves the prosecutor's dodge doesn't always work out so well in Arizona. In a searing dissent, two justices pointed out the most obvious flaw of this logic. It renders the law unconstitutional. No one thinks that the legislature really intended to criminalize every knowing or intentional act of touching a child in the prohibited areas, the dissent explains. Reading the statutes as doing so creates a constitutional vagueness problem, as it would mean that both the people who do not have fair notice of what is actually prohibited and the laws do not adequately contain, um, sorry, constrain prosecutional discretion is a requirement under the due process clause of the 14th amendment. The majority responds that any potential vagueness problem is remedied by the fact that the defendants can attempt to prove their innocent state of mind as an affirmative defense. Not so the dissent retorts. By requiring the defendant to prove his innocence instead of requiring the state to prove his guilt, Arizona has shifted the accused burden of proving the absence of the very fact, sexual motivation, that distinguishes the criminal from innocent conduct. That, too, runs afoul of due process, 
by criminalizing a broad swath of indisputably innocent conduct, but assigning to defendants the burden of proving their conduct was not criminally motivated. Uh, bizarrely, the majority insists that if prosecutors did charge parents for changing their child's diaper, they could argue they were exercising their fundamental constitutional right, managing care for their children. This alleged defense is cold comfort. As Matt Brown notes at Mims's Law, Arizona sentencing laws are so stringent and state courts are so unwilling to dismiss sex charges based on as-applied constitutional challenges before trial and conviction that innocent parents will sit in prison for quite some time before a higher court vacates their sentence on constitutional grounds. Really puzzling is the majority's assumption that parents can still present their innocence as an affirmative defense in court. Even if the strategy works, the Arizona laws will have arguably intruded upon their fundamental rights to care for their children without state interference. After all, as the dissent notes, such a defense does not mean that a crime has not occurred, but instead that the miscreant may avoid any culpability by persuading the fact finder that criminal conduct should be excused. And this relief would likely only come after a lengthy, expensive, and reputation-tarnishing trial. As Fordham Law Professor John Plath explains, the majority logic has one final defect. It only ignores the reality of plea bargaining, which is now more than 90% of criminal cases, is how more than 90% of criminal cases in America are resolved. Given the immense expense and hassle of a trial, many defendants are pressured into striking a deal with a prosecutor trading a lighter sentence on an admission of guilt. Arizona prosecutors can now dangle the threat of a probable child molestation conviction to course any parent of a young child into taking a plea deal on unrelated charges. With the state Supreme Court's help, Arizona's child molestation laws have been weaponized into a tool for prosecutional harassment, allowing the state to target any parent or caregiver out of spider malice or simply to boost their conviction rates. This terrible decision has gutted constitutional rights and turned many of the state's residents into unknowing criminals. Barring intervention by the U.S. Supreme Court, due process has now been suspended for Arizona's parents and caregivers. Jeannie, go. This is just so absolutely freaking ignorant. I mean, I, what, what are they thinking? Seriously, what are they thinking? So from now on, any parent um, that has a small child that you don't want to, oh, let's say, coach your kid's Little League game, who, by the way, have to have background checks now, mm-hmm. all you have to do is make the accusation that they touched their child. And the parent cannot lie and say, well, no, I didn't change my, t- my child's shitty diapers. No, I didn't <laughs> give my child a bath. I mean, this covers so much more than just changing a diaper. We're talking about any kind of contact with a small child because mm-hmm. at some point they have to be naked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, yeah, yeah, if, yeah, it, yeah. I would these, not. These would fucking not. morons got elected. Yeah. The, these, these stupid ass people got elected. Yeah, I would not. If, if I worked in childcare, I would not. Of a business not as owner. Uh, yeah, there there are a lot of places I wouldn't mind working. Arizona is not one of them. Um, but what is it? Three laws a day. Uh, the average, the average person well, I mean, is, is breaks I, three felony felony laws a day. I understand that that child abuse is is rampant out there. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I get that and I think it's I think it's horrific. Um I 
of course, I am an advocate for childs getting spankings, too, because I believe that a parent knows their children. Um, all four of our kids required different discipline because different discipline worked on each of them. So that's what we did. Um, but, you know, there's a, I strongly believe there's a difference between um, spanking a child and beating a child. I believe that there is a difference between touching your child and molesting your child. And this, this is such a, a perverse, twisted law that it just makes me ill. It's, um, they dropped the ball in a huge way. And now being a parent in Arizona is one of the most dangerous things you can be. They they didn't just drop the ball. They drop kicked it through the wrong goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is it Alex de Tocqueville who said that, um, the, the more society crumbles, more things are made crimes that are not crimes. Um, and and you, you're going to see a lot more of this, I think. So, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, parents in Arizona, if you didn't know. Now you do. Yeah, you know, um, technically now, uh, if you're a parent or a caregiver in Arizona, you are now a, a sexual predator, uh, Committing crime. Isn't that horrible? Yep. <laughs> All it takes is for one person to say this to a policeman and you're in court. Yes, you are. And try defend nor try defending normal parental contact. How do you do that? How do you even defend yourself against that? I mean, yeah, I, I mean family videos. Loads of people do family videos now. And and mm-hmm. Periscope and YouTube. Facebook. Mm-hmm. All it takes is one person to. Oh, look! He, there's, there's film of this guy touching his kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's now, that's yeah. now prosecutable. <laughs> I just, I can't. For the life of me, I can't believe something like this. It, it just wasn't overturned. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, only two out of the five judges opposed it it's like what i mean i've said it before i mean you you really need to go through your judicial system and get rid of all the loonies uh yeah and a lot of the problems stem from the fact that a judge can just be appointed yeah you know a judge can be anyone you can you can be cletus flipping burgers one day and the next day you're a judge I don't have it to hand, but there used to be a website that listed all the judges in the U.S. who had no legal qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> and that's terrifying. And that's it's half of them or something have never yeah. actually worked in anything to do with the law. But they're a judge. It's like, <laughs> which is just crazy. Well, you know, there's a lot of things in America that are, are just plain crazy. Okay, um... I still don't see Alex. So, uh, you want to do your next favorite story, Miss Jeannie, Arizona? <laughs> Fuck the TSA. You want to do TSA? Okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, it just gets better and better. 
why do I feel like I'm living in an Orwellian novel? <laughs> well, and the biggest thing that kills me, before you even read this, I, I want to put this thought in people's heads, okay? okay? When you listen to this, people, understand, this is, this is a fucking money grab. And understand, you're going to pony up the money for said money grab. Uh, before we even get there, I'm going to recommend a really great book called A Government of Wolves by John W. Whitehead that goes into greater detail about the things that the, the TSA eventually wants to be granted the power to do. Uh, this is just kind of step two to getting them to that point where they are absolutely ubiquitous. Uh, where everywhere you go, there's a TSA agent. Okay, so here we go. Senators want to ensure TSA protects trains, buses, and ports. The top lawmakers on the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee want to ensure that the Transportation Security Administration adequately safeguards all modes of transportation, not just aviation. Senators John Thune, chairman of the panel, and Bill Nelson, that fucking idiot from Florida, the ranking member, are planning to drop legislation soon that would ensure that TSA resources allocated towards surface transportation security ex uh, efforts match up with the relevant risks. The lawmakers said that they were concerned by comments from TSA Administrator Peter Neffinger earlier oh, this year when he testified that the agency spends only 3% of its annual budget protecting trains, subways, buses, and ports. Although aviation remains a top target for terrorism, the duo pointed out that terrorists have killed civilians at rail and transport stations in Europe. There's also been an increased shift towards so-called soft target areas, especially at airport and airplane security has ramped up in recent years. While TSA's role at airports is the most visible and remains critically important, the agency has a responsibility stay ahead of threats and secure all U.S. transportation systems, Thune said in a press release. To help ensure that complacency and a lack of analysis described by the Inspector General does not create vulnerabilities for terrorists to exploit, the Commerce Committee will soon introduce bipartisan legislation to improve how the TSA assesses and responds to security risks. The Senators were encouraged to write the bill after a recent report from the Homeland Security Department's Inspector General which determined that the TSA lacks an intelligence-driven, risk-based security strategy to help the agency make security and resource decisions across all transportation modes. The TSA publicized intelligence-driven, uh, risk-based approach was designed for the aviation mode and chiefly for all passenger screening, the report says. Though the TSA has security programs for the surface models, its agency-wide risk management organizations provide little oversight of these programs. The report also found that the TSA does not have a formal process. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So you mean they want more government? Who'd have thought? Yes. Yes, anything you give the government money for, you get more of. Um, uh, the TSA does not have a formal process to encompass security risks in its budget decisions, which would help ensure all transportation modes consistently implement risk-based security and help decision makers align resources effectively. Uh, the Inspector General is urging the TSA to create a risk-based security strategy that reflects all transportation modes. I mean, it, it just, it says it over and over again. 
and establish a budget planning process that uses risk to make resource decisions. I find it troubling that 15 years have passed since the 9-11 attacks and the TSA is still struggling to allocate the resources to protect travelers, especially in our rail and transit systems, said Nelson. The report only underscores the need to shore up any security gaps before it's too late. Which which means more money. No, it means more money. It also means more of the TSA where you don't want them. Uh, in a statement, the TSA said it agrees with the report's recommendations. Of course it does. TSA's Enterprise Risk Management Program is a benchmark recognized across federal agencies based on a comprehensive and systemic approach to apply risk management across the enterprise, the statement read. TSA agrees with recommendations provided by the OIG, and they will help further strengthen the TSA's overall risk management programs. Jeannie, uh, tell, me about, uh, tell me about what it's like trying to travel with the TSA with your implant. Um, well, no, I, let me tell you, my implant is not an issue at all. Mm. Nobody fucking pays any attention to it at all. And, mm. you know, don't ask them why, because then they get all, all kinds of pissed off at you. You know, <laughs> don't, don't insinuate, don't tell them that their scanner's not picking up a lithium ion battery implanted in you the size of a fucking pager. <laughs> because, you know, that's, that's irrelevant. Then, then you're an asshole, you know, <laughs> but how about the, the simple, bullshit that it took two and a half hours to get to a screener to begin with in Chicago O'Hare. Um, that was fucking ridiculous. And, and then I get there and because I have dumped e-liquid in my purse, um, uh, Salito tank broke in there and dumped out five millijuice. My, my purse tested positive for explosives because their fucked up machines just pick up glycerin, not specific types of it which is absolutely ridiculous considering everything right down to lip gloss and hand lotion contain glycerin nowadays. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it is fucking pointless. Pointless. They've, they have done targeted studies and, you know, upwards of 80% of the people that were trying to smuggle stuff through got through and well, you know, blah, 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 blah. We want them to know we're there because if they know we're there, they won't attempt to do anything bad. Really? Really? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Because, you know, airplanes aren't necessarily a secure way of doing something. I mean, come on. We had single terrorists jump on planes, whether you believe the the, the official story of what happened on 9-11 or not. The, yeah. the fact remains that these guys got on airplanes and they weren't overpowered, even though they were greatly outnumbered. They, they took out a terrorist attack on a country that is known for its military might. If you think that some fucking schmuck wearing a uniform making minimum wage scares these people you're goddamn delusional tsa is a waste of my time and money the one that's, that gets me, all they are right the one that gets me is one of the justifications is oh but there have been terrorist acts in europe that at rail and transit stations and you're like okay so next week Next week, they'll be wanting a TSA agent on every street in America. Because, yes, because where did you IRA just have a bomb? Hard. Yeah, well, not just that. Uh, pedestrians. Where, where was the latest bombs in New York? 
in the street. Oh, but they were where people are walking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we need TSA for trash. Well, in the UK, we have, um, and you have in certain cities in the US, transport police, policemen who patrol around, you know, stations, on trains, stuff like that. Well, we yeah, why does it have to be TSA? What's wrong with expanding the transport police? Uh, I don't know. Well, because the transport police didn't have as much authority as the TSA. I mean, you know, the TSA gets to be Stalin and Hitler or some fucking shit. <laughs> I, I mean, they get to make up their own damn rules. You know, they can single you out and put you through all kinds of searches when you haven't done a thing. I think that's one of the biggest things that people don't realize about TSA. TSA can single you out for no reason at all and force you to submit to a search. People just don't get that. Yeah, don't, yeah the, the big one, uh, don't tell them jokes. Because people have been strip searched for basically being funny. Uh, well, I wish I'd have known that when I kept making that girl laugh that was testing my bag for explosives. Um, because she then she looked at me and she goes, ma'am, I'm not supposed to laugh. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, sorry, I figured it, it's better than me being pissed off. And she goes, it is, but I'll get in trouble for it. One of the one of the best comedy routines, actually. See, there's a Australian comedian called Adam Hills. Um, and he's got an artificial leg. The lower half of one of his legs is artificial. Mm -hmm. And he's going um he had to go through an airport just after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. And uh it was in the UK, but yeah, he was getting on a plane, but they'd increased the security. So he's got a guy searching him. Because obviously he walked through the detector and it went off. Because he's got an right. artificial leg. Mm-hmm. And he goes the guy starts searching him, he's patting him down and he's like it's like What the fuck's going on there? <laughs> Gets the artificial leg. They got well, I've got an artificial foot, and the guy was just like, "Oh, sorry, just go through, go through." <laughs> but but I might have a bomb inside it. No, no, it's fine. Go, go. <laughs> I don't know. Well, here, I don't know. The TSA just continues to do shit that amazes and sickens me. You know, I would think after all the bad press they've had giving money to any other federal agency would go over better with the American public. Really? Than this. I think the TSA is just... They're just... They're something else. And they're overstepping their boundaries. They actually have these vans that they drive around New York. And this is the TSA. This isn't the police department, although the police department has some too. Um, They're fully equipped x-ray vans that they just drive around and take x-rays of people in the vehicle so they can see what they have what they're driving around with and they have the ability to do this they've had the ability to do this since the state of emergency was signed right after 9-11 and they re-signed that so they've got all the powers they were given in that particular act plus more and the government wants to give them more abilities to search people And just last week, wasn't it, we talked about how the TSA 
might actually endanger lives. More people might die because of the TSA because they would choose to drive than fly. And flying is much safer than driving. So, it's okay, next week the TSA is going to be checking every car in the country, apparently. <laughs> if you keep going on this like sort of expansion. Yeah. Please don't say that. I mean, I can remember when they went to a prom the TSA went to a prom in Texas in 2000, God, what year was it? 2008 and searched everybody there. What the fuck does the TSA have to do with the prom? Jeannie, any idea how the Transportation Security Administration has something to do with proms? High school, school prom? Well, you know, maybe they thought that planes were going to be landing or taking <laughs> off or there was a train there or maybe, 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 oh, I know what it is. There was a bus there to transport these kids back and forth from their cars. It, that's had to be what it was. There was a bus there. The band was singing some song about transport. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's overreach. They don't need this. This is how you... Do you want a police state? Because this is how you get a police state. Sorry. I need to tell you, you're already in a police state. Yeah, but this is how it gets ubiquitous. This yeah. is how normal people wake up to the fact that we have one not just like that poor guy who found out that the police had actually conspired you and i read that earlier there yeah. was a gentleman who was arrested at a protest and the cops were actually caught on film discussing the best way to plant evidence on him to get a conviction so yes you are in a police state and uh, the rules are simple. Uh, always obey them. You might get shot. You might not get shot. Um, you might get shot for having a child with you who has developmental disorders. Um, you might get shot for being black, for being white, for whatever. Um, see, see, that's, that's good. See, because the police state I'm in, at least the worst I'm probably look forward to is a light bit of pepper spray and a taser. At least I won't get shot. Unless it's something really weird happening. Because <laughs> yeah, at least at least my nutters aren't armed for the most part. Yeah. Hey, I don't, I don't even know what to say, but I, I do know once we started giving cops paramilitary gear and tanks and light armaments and that sort of thing, we were headed down a slippery slope. And well, how about the SWAT teams that? so many branches so many departments in the government have i mean i'm still stuck on the fact that the department of the aging has a fucking swat team hey um, hey hey i've worked in a care home some of them old people you know <laughs> the department of education um the department, the department of, of fisheries why does the department of fisheries need an armed swat team well, and here, here's a law in, in Pennsylvania, and I don't live there anymore, so it doesn't fucking matter to me, but it, it, it's stupid. Okay. Um, now, it used to be you had to display your hunting and fishing license prominently where they could see it from a distance, right? Okay. So they changed their law. Um, a fishing license, you still have to display a fishing license. Um, where they could see it with a set of binoculars or field glasses, whatever you want to call them. Okay. okay so okay. the guy, the guy with the stick and a and a piece of nylon line and a hook, um, needs to display his license where it can be seen from a safe distance. 
the guys that are carrying high powered rifles, um, they can carry theirs in their wallet now. Uh, um, so not only is it a police state, uh, common sense has not just taken a vacation, it's taken off and headed for parts unknown. I, I think that's right. Don't you? I don't see any any comments. Go ahead. ahead. That was sarcasm, right? Uh, yeah. That was that was sarcasm. I I, <laughs> I do it so much. I'm surprised I'm not really British. Uh, it's kind of the only way I can talk about this stuff is either sarcastically, or to make a joke about it, because it's just so ridiculous. Uh, this is beyond ridiculous. Well, well, you you said you know you're almost British. It's the, why do you think we are the way we are over here? <laughs> In the past, we had. Ridiculous laws until they're reformed. So, yeah, yes, this is one of the reasons why my country is full of sarcasm and irony. Because our laws used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but at least your stupid, silly-ass laws do eventually get repealed. Yeah. Although, my, my favorite one is the one, there's actually a area in Britain, and it's in a town. And you can shake your rugs outside until five o'clock in the evening. So four fifty nine, it's perfectly legal to shake your rug out at five o'clock. You can get fined for it. Uh, really? That's kind of ridiculous. Well, one of the ones that got repealed <laughs> not that long ago, weirdly, okay. is uh, for damaging a royal fountain head. As in, you know, as a fountain, public fountain. <laughs> But if it was if it had been opened by somebody royal or was near royal property, if you right. damaged it, that was treason. <laughs> so yeah, the, and and yeah, we still have treason here technically, which it's the only capital offence we still have, although it hasn't been used as a capital offence for a long time. Right. But technically, we still have the death penalty for treason. <laughs> Not very well penalty. advertised that one, but yeah, the UK does still have the death penalty. But it's it only really applies to the military on specific cases where, well, they haven't used those laws in a long time, and they're slowly repealing them one at a time. Well, I mean, and that's the thing: uh, old, useless, stupid laws should be repealed. In Vermont, it's illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket. How many fucking people do you know that are that stupid? Um, um actually, yeah, a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, really? have you looked at Facebook? <laughs> I, you know what? I don't play games on Facebook. I, I am very rarely involved in much stuff on Facebook. I, I, they gave me a lovely banner, a big, huge page, and I just splash news all over it, news and sarcastic pictures. Um, that's what it's for. It's a billboard for things I think, um, and I don't play on there. I guess so. Um, yeah, I have seen some some stupid things. Um, I've seen some misspellings that uh, make me want to grit my teeth, and I'm not the world's best speller. So, yeah. Oh, Jan, you shouldn't read any of my posts then. That's not you. (laughs) Really talking about you. If my my hands don't hurt and I'm actually typing, I am like the fucking queen of typos. And and what's even worse is when I use talk to text. 
um, because I I read I said I spoke something into my phone the other night because my hands hurt and mm-hmm. and I said the word verses and you know <laughs> it put in the wrong one and and somebody got really butthurt over the fact that <laughs> I can even fuck something up on talk to text but yeah but that's not what I'm talking about I mean I've seen people misspell this and like abdomen <laughs> I mean, though, those are kind of common words that we all had to learn, at least in high school biology, abdomen. And this, isn't that a word you use all the time? Yeah, well, I mean, and the funny people, thing is, is people it, misspell people the days of the week all the time. I mean, yeah, it, it offers, you know, when you screw something up on Facebook, it underlines that shit. It's like in Google Docs where, you know... <laughs> where yeah, yeah. there's not a space between and and cholesterol, it underlines mm-hmm. that shit in red. Mm-hmm. It, you know, kind of like, did you really mean to do this? So, you know, the biggest problem I have with my phone mm-hmm. is it doesn't like me to have anything. It wants me to gave everything. <laughs> and it refuses to allow me to type in ducks. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. See, your, your phone knows you, though. I don't know. It doesn't want me to have ducks. It wants me to give fucks, and it just doesn't hurt. You think you've got problems. I'm Scottish. I can't use any of that text-to-speech stuff. You know, speech-to-text. <laughs> have you seen would... the... Have you been on YouTube? The guys with the voice-activated elevator. Yes. No. Brilliant, brilliant have, comedy I sketch. I will have to go find it. That's yeah. very funny. Yes. <laughs> I don't have a strong accent, so yeah, I'm over-egging it. I don't really have a problem with it, but I don't want to use it because it does make mistakes. Quite drastic mistakes a lot of the time. It's better than it used to be, but yeah. I don't know. I, I have a I have a weird thing about speech-to-text mostly because I'm on Android and the default is talk to Google. Yeah. I don't ever want to talk to Google. Okay, I have Google. nothing it's to like... say to Google. Yeah, no, I don't I don't like when that oh, pops other up. good video was when um, Apple introduced Siri. There's there's lots of YouTube oh, videos of Scottish oh. people trying to use Siri. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Hey, why is the iPhone 7 hissing? Has anybody seen that video yet? No. You open up too many apps on the iPhone 7, the new one without the headphone jack because you don't need that. <laughs> um, yeah, and they hiss. <laughs> they think it's indicative of a large problem. I'm like, well, gee, I don't know why because in nature, when everything hisses at you, everything's just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone 7, now with added Viper. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. the amount of people that are falling for the meme on Facebook about the headphones with the 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 uh, bass speaker that can co- be conveniently hidden on your body have you seen that no ah right L- look for that but okay. people I people thought it, it was genuine putting it in certain places yeah people <laughs> thought that that was genuine it's like oh dear god how stupid are you <laughs> oh, and there, well... there's one person who even said it in a reply Hey, that looks like a. Eh, I'm not going to say. <laughs> yeah, but wait a minute. Somebody did. What was the what was the vape product, Jan? That they released that vibrated. 
Oh God, I don't. I don't even know. Oh, Do you remember that? Vape, vape product? product? Yeah, there was a vapor product um, released at one time that that vibrated. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember whether it was a cardamizer or something. But I mean, I was like, "What the fuck?" You don't. You don't really need vibrating vapes. Well, maybe some people do. I, I don't know what you do in your spare time or, or how you feel good. Seriously, are you going to vape with that appendage? It, no. It probably wasn't designed for the, the Western <laughs> market because it was probably for the Asian market because, you know, the Japanese are a bit, you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they vape from their hoo haws? No. Quite possibly. But... Who knows? It's the Japanese, they get up to lots they of strange are... shit. They are very strange, and I, I, I don't mean to insult people from Japan, but any place that has used underwear vending machines probably has a problem. Oh my god, that was information I never needed to know. Not ever. <laughs> Jesus, that, that, was, that, like was, like nice, that was like the nicest thing I could bring up. <laughs> that was the nicest thing I could bring up. You want to see some screwed up shit? There's a website called WTF Japan. No, just no, <laughs> no, Jan, no. I mean, it's just the products are hilarious. Genie, Genie, you do DIY. Go look up Japanese ice cream flavors. That's all no, I'm saying. I'm saying. no, I'm not. No, I am not going <laughs> to click a link from either one of you at least for a month. No. I, but know, why do? Why you wouldn't you it... want wasabi and and um? Enemy? Was it was wasabi and seaweed ice cream? Oh yeah, well, what's that? That stuff they eat? It's like um, beans, bean curd paste, but it's um, oh god, it's disgusting. It um, they they um, let it ferment. They yeah. eat it for like breakfast. Yeah, there was an ice cream flavor like it, that. It's it's yeah, it's a bean curd, bit done yeah. kind of like a yogurt. Yeah. But it's it's if you've ever smelt that you want to run straight and it's just it's not that's not a breakfast food. It's just not not in any but yeah, way. Yeah, when, when I want to scare people about DIY and flavors, I, I default into uh, sort of mentioning Japanese popular flavors because <laughs> <laughs> some of them are you're just like Do you want now. Like, they like wasabi honestly, in a lot of things. Put it that way. Yeah, but they they got some, they got some weird ass products. Just, just huh. like normal, you know, normal everyday products. Although yeah. I will say they make the very best makeup. They were the first to come out with BB cream, which is awesome. Well, you probably know, more than you know. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just some completely messed up shit. But. There, there's a bonus to this. We just talked about all this really stupid, crazy, insane <laughs> shit going on, and Alex is coming on to do the Kasa update. So that that will seem not absolutely insane now. <laughs> yeah. Um. Eh, poor Alex. I I don't even know when he's coming on, but you know, whenever he's ready, he can come on. Um. And you're right, it won't sound crazy. So, you know, um, yeah, so you're, <laughs> you're, you're just showing her the bizarre ice cream flavors. Um, Alex says he's here. Well, you can join anytime he likes. Good. I'm here. Alex. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's loud. Can you turn him down, Barry? 
Just a little bit. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. We're just going to turn you down a little bit, Alex. Well, That's uh, cool. Jerry's going to turn you down on his end. <laughs> okay. Page out signed. Uh, say something? Checking. One, two, one, two. Okay. Uh, I'll just turn my volume down. I'm sure you're going to sound fine on the recording. Okay. Um, good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 9-19-2016. Good evening, Alex. And what is new and exciting this week? Um, a few things. Uh, first of all, I would just like to say I've been listening the entire time almost. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and now I know why I get the weird swab in my vape bag uh, at the airport. So I'll need to clean that out before I travel again. Um, uh, so yeah, a couple of uh, new and exciting things. Um, okay. Today we, we put out a, uh, a call to action for the Pennsylvania vape tax. Um, a bill has been introduced, HB 2342, I believe. Okay. Uh, I kept getting that backwards. Um, Representative Wheeland uh, introduced this uh, via memorandum in the recess. Uh, it now has a bill number, and I believe the text is up, or it should be up shortly. Um, but what this bill does is it reduces the tax on vapor products from uh, a 40% wholesale tax, which very few people in Pennsylvania are going to be able to survive, uh, right. especially since that existing uh, tax included the, uh, uh, the floor tax uh, that would, I believe was due uh, sometime in December. Um, <clears throat> and it, it changes that from 40% of wholesale to a five cent per milliliter tax which is uh, it's something that consumers pay, um, but uh, this is effectively a, uh, a reduction in that tax. And I, a couple people, actually people haven't really raised much of a stink about this as, as I had expected, but um, Casa's position nationally is that we are opposed to any taxes on vapor products, any extra taxes uh, beyond you know, your state sales tax. Um, but in Pennsylvania's case, it's important to point out that um, this this was law. This 40% wholesale tax, it, it is currently the law uh, right now, unless this yeah. amendment goes, unless this bill goes through, um, that 40% that wholesale tax takes effect on October 1st of this year. So um, the, the, the proposal from Representative Wheeland is a step in the right direction, which uh -huh. is first and foremost, a reduction in the tax. Uh, second, uh, it, it's, it's towards hopefully down the line, not immediately, but down the line, I, we would love to see there be no extra taxes on vapor products. And I'm not like holding my breath or you know, <laughs> counting chickens or whatever expression you want to use. Um, but that, that is sort of the goal. Right. So um, we have released a call to action in support of this amendment. If you live in the state of Pennsylvania, please take action uh, today, tomorrow, this week, uh, and, uh, and express support, urge your uh, state representatives to support this bill. And uh, of course, this is timely as uh, I will be in Pennsylvania on Monday in Harrisburg at mm -hmm. the uh, anti-tax rally. Um, okay. It sounds like there's going to be, it sounds like there's sort of a, a 
a larger than expected list of people speaking. Um, I will be one of them. Um, and uh, of course, we'll be talking about how awful taxes are on vapor products. I was just, <clears throat> I was just ranting on Facebook um, over over the gentleman that I hope Chris Hughes puts out of office. Um, so it's it's funny that you bring this up. I can't believe that this man actually thinks that a five per a five cents per ml tax is not a a, an, a good replacement for this forty percent floor tax. I mean, how how ignorant is this man that he thinks that keeping businesses open and paying something is not better than all of them leaving the state and them getting nothing? I, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, I also saw his uh, assessment that, um, first of all, I think he said that uh, the estimate uh, regarding the number of businesses that were shutting down was overblown. And then quite the quite <laughs> offensive statement, which was, um, those shops that are closing down were probably on that trajectory anyway. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, this guy's, I, I can't say what I really think. No, I but, can but... say it, but not on the recording. <laughs> yeah. As, um, as a matter uh, of fact, I might have called him a name in a post. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, clearly he is in, in, in more gentle terms, uh, out of touch with, with what's going on in his own state. So, yeah. Wow. Not really a surprise. We just talked about Arizona, so um, not a huge surprise that there are politicians and, and judges and all those people just kind of running around clueless about how things actually work. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I'm not familiar with the bill that you were talking about in Arizona, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, when you get into the language of legislation, mm -hmm. um, and Pennsylvania is a good example. You know, yeah. a lot of times people make these plans seemingly in a vacuum mm -hmm. and they're just looking at numbers and you say, okay, well, here's a bunch of existing sales data. And now we're going to, we're going to add this, this percentage of wholesale tax, whatever on top of it, mm -hmm. uh, one plus two equals three, you know, triple a little <laughs> mag magic on there. And that's just the way it's going to be. Um, and, and that's, that's not reality. And, um, you, you know, it's just a, a lot of times people are just have that tunnel vision of, uh, well, okay, these, these are the words and this is the way the law is written. And, and this is what we expect to happen. They're willfully ignorant. Yeah. And well, in, in, in a case of Pennsylvania, you have a lot of lawmakers that, uh, you know, signed off on this budget bill without actually knowing that this tax was in there. Um, and, and so, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, a, it's another case of, of not having time, maybe not having the curiosity. I don't know. I can't speak to their, you know, what their daily routine is. I, I'm sure it's not, um, it, it's certainly not filled with, you know, rainbows and chocolate bonbons <laughs> and golden toilets, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I think I, you know, just looking through, you know, California was a good example with some of the, 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 the bills that were impacting vapor in California. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting <laughs> just trying <laughs> to read one of those bills and a budget bill. Budget bills are massive. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 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 it shouldn't be much of a surprise that, uh, and this speaks to, you know, constituent engagement ultimately, uh, but it should not be much of a surprise that 
uh, when lawmakers are handed a budget bill, they're going to be looking at issues that they're most passionate about, that their constituents have made the most noise about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going forward, um, and, and this is something that we're dealing with at the federal level, you know, we're looking at uh, what is essentially going to be a rider in an omnibus budget bill, mm -hmm. uh, with the, the Cole Bishop Amendment. And, uh, you know, lawmakers from around the country are going to be paying attention to the issues that they're most engaged in. And if we don't get enough support, if we don't make enough noise for our issue, uh, they're going to forget about us. They're not going to pay attention to it. And when it comes time to trim the fat, uh, our, you know, our amendment is, is going to be on that chopping block. So um, uh, it, it really is imperative that people in Pennsylvania take a moment, even if it's something as simple as sending an email. If you can get on the phone and talk to your representative, that's great. If you can arrange a meeting and put a face to the issue, that's 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 wonderful. Yeah. Um, but if if you've only got the time, if your level of commitment is is only sending an email, then by all means do that too. Every little bit counts. Mm -hmm. um, they they should not be allowed to you know brush us off or forget about this issue. And uh, you know, as Jeannie mentioned, it's you know it, this this actually makes sense for Pennsylvania. I mean, even if they didn't include a five cent per milliliter tax, which they shouldn't, but they are, um, right. you know, the state would be making more money off of just sales tax and payroll tax and, you know, property taxes or whatever other taxes that an employer in the state of Pennsylvania pays. Um, if, if they had just left the industry alone, they would have been seeing increasing revenues. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, or they yeah. can, you know, maybe not piss the money away on the Democratic National Convention and finding Aramark a new place to live in Philadelphia. Well, I was going to say, so, <laughs> so these bills are more or less, basically, we have to pass them to find out what's in them. No, not necessarily. I mean, it was published. Um, well, no, no, I'm saying like the larger bills, like the larger, you know, uh, revenue bills, those things, I don't think you were saying how hard it is to read them. I'm, I'm assuming it's even harder if you're a member of the legislator, late legislature to get the time to read through every bit of those. I mean, that's what their staff is for. Um, it, it, it's, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, in, in delegating responsibilities, if you've got a massive budget bill that comes on your desk, you're going to assign your staff particular sections. Mm -hmm. uh, or you're going to have them comb through it for specific topics, for specific issues, right. uh, things that constituents have reached out to you, uh, mm -hmm. things that lobbyists have, have put, have, have brought your attention to, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you're going to double check the language and make sure it's something that, that you want. Um, it, it's, it's not, a, you know, being a politician is not a, a one man show they, they have, they have staff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, but there is a limited amount of time. It's not a, you know, we have to pass this to see what's in it. It's more of, um, you know, do, do they have the time to read the entire thing? Um, hmm. you know, it, it's it, it, lawmakers, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and an issue that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot, but most famously federal agencies, mm -hmm. uh, regulatory agencies set, uh, uh, uh deadlines. Mm -hmm. And you only have so much time to read through something or try to become compliant. Uh, and uh, what should be a, a, a now famous example of not being given enough time would be the FDA deeming regulations. 
Um, you know, they're horrible as they are, but they're even more horrible when you consider that in now less than two years, uh, companies are, are really not going to have the time to, to put together um, the, the pre-market tobacco applications. So um, it, it's just, you know, all of these examples are, are sort of, you know, why things like a 40% wholesale tax on vapor products get lost in the mix of, of uh, a massive state budget bill. Yeah. 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 No, it, uh, government uh, sure knows how to throw around that red tape. Well, you know, if everybody would just kind of, I don't know, maybe measure their pension for making policy and, and just relax a little bit, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'd have more, more meaningful laws that actually, you know, benefit Address society. problems, yeah. yeah. Address problems and don't make more problems that they have to legislate again to fix. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, so, yeah, um, speaking of of FDA and fun things. Did they ever really make clear what they will accept for uh, online age verification do you, that you know of? Not that I know of. And, uh, you know, I'm involved in other conversations about, you know, what is acceptable. Um, I, I have, I guess, what is at this point kind of my personal interpretation of the statute, mm -hmm. um, which is that, uh, that no, you don't need to verify via photo ID for online sales. Um, I, I just, I, I don't read the statute that way, but I, that comes with a disclaimer that I'm not a lawyer. Uh, right. I'm, not a, I'm not a regulatory expert. Sure. Um, I, I've just kind of read it several times and tried to answer that question. Well, I um, know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say I, I ordered something. I ordered, I ordered a huge order. And uh, it took three days for them to check it. And they didn't check it by ID. They checked it somehow by mailing address. I don't know what system they use. But yeah, it took three days for me to be able to pay for my order. And they didn't use my, they didn't want a copy of my photo ID. They wanted to do it by my mailing address, which was interesting. So I guess there's a lot of different systems you could use for that. Yeah, and um, I mean, some, some a few states have already tackled this, and that you have to use a, a commercially available third-party database that that matches up your information with, um, you know, some sort of government database, I assume, right? Uh, and, and verifies your age and address, and and and, and that's that. Um, those systems, as far as I know, work, yeah. um, but the FDA did not specify this. The, the Tobacco Control Act does not specify this. It just says you can't sell to people under the age of 18. Um, and recently, I believe uh, middle of last week, uh, the uh, FDA warning letters list, I forget the official name for the, the particular page on their site, um, but uh, uh, that, that was updated and it included several online vapor retailers uh, that, uh, you know, underage people were able to purchase vapor products through. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, a, an interesting note was that no brick and mortar shops were, uh, caught up in the sting. Um, um I, I know that, it, I mean, they're not a hundred percent, but, uh, I, I think by and large brick and mortar retailers are very sensitive about checking IDs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, 
you know, yeah, it's a problem. And, and I think a lot of people see the, the warning letters and sort of freak out like, oh, my God, this is the end of the industry and we're not going to be able to do online sales anymore. Um, I, I don't necessarily believe that's true. Um, you know, I, I just saw an advertisement today about uh, a, a kind of a, a wine tasting club that you can join. Right. Uh, and they send you a box of like six bottles of wine based on your mm -hmm. preferences, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, if the alcohol industry can get it done, then so can vapor. It's, it's not impossible. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the solution is out there. I don't, you know, with Casaw doesn't endorse particular brands, right. um, you know, of not. keep that statement close at hand. Um, yes. and, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't endorse any age verification system. So, uh, you know, I don't have any recommendations for anybody, but. Uh, I, I do, I do feel, I do believe that the solution's out there. Um, oh, yeah. and, and I don't feel, I don't think that there's any reason that the, I, I think that I, I don't, I wouldn't put it, put it, put it past the FDA to try and just completely right. outlaw online sales. But, uh, uh, I, I, I do believe that at least somebody in the industry is, is doing it right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the other side of this is that you don't, I, I don't believe you see letters from the FDA saying, Hey, you know, we inspected your, your online sales, whatever. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you passed, we were, we were able to not have a kid order vapor products. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's possible that they did try several other online retailers and were unsuccessful, yep. but, uh, you know, we don't hear about that. So, yeah. uh, just one more way that the agency refuses to be helpful. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh, they're helpful, just not to us. Yeah. So speaking of uh, people that are being unhelpful, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I sent out an email this, this afternoon to uh, our California membership. Mm -hmm. um, a, uh, an article was run in the LA Times at the end of last week. Uh, okay. They did a, a, a reader poll and asked readers if they would support a, uh, a $2 pack increase on, uh, on cigarettes. Uh, what's notable about this uh, survey was that they also included the fact that Proposition 56 will include enacting a tax on vapor products. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the proposition itself and articles that have been written about it in the recent past failed to mention mm -hmm. uh, at least until later on in the article right that uh, that this that this ballot initiative includes a tax on paper products so uh it's important to point that out um right. you know although it is sort of a, a bit of an afterthought you know the what is what is the the um the, the focus of the question is of course the raising taxes on cigarettes um they, they did include the reference to e-cigarettes and uh, Sixty-three percent of respondents favor this tax, um, wow. and uh, so yeah, that's that's sort of a depressing number. Um, but I, I do <laughs> I do know that efforts are underway to raise awareness about Proposition Fifty Six in California. Yeah. Um, but the realization that everybody needs to um, understand is that uh, even if every person who uses vapor products in the state of California, number one is a registered voter and number two votes against this ballot initiative, we're still outnumbered. 
And so what uh, we are urging CASA members to do is to uh, reach out to friends and family and people you know that, that don't vape, that may not understand what this ballot initiative is about, right. and, and help educate them and make sure they're registered to vote and, and urge them to vote no on Proposition 56. Mm -hmm. um, we need, we need non-vaping voters in California to, to defeat this thing. Right. Um, and so there's, there are two websites. If you live in California, you got, you got links to those websites to share with friends and family and help educate them. Um, I believe right. it's no on proposition 56.com and nix56.org. Uh, probably should have had that up on my screen. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll share the links with you, Jan, uh, so okay. you them in the, in the show notes. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, and that's, you know, it, it, speaking of, of, of voters, um, I'm, I'm working on the Kassan newsletter right now. Okay. Uh, hopefully we'll have it out this week. Um, awesome. but we, we are working on a voter education program. People have been sort of beaten down the doors, uh, asking for this, you know, where does my, mm -hmm. where do my candidates stand on vapor products? We are working on it. Um, it takes, it does, it has taken a while to gather all of the candidate information. Um, this is not necessarily as easy as going to something like ballot, Ballotopedia, um, mm -hmm. or, or one particular website and finding all of the candidate contact information. Right. Um, so we've, we've had to actually, uh, uh, hire somebody to, to do that. And I know mm -hmm. Kristen, Kristen Nolmarsh, um, actually took up the reins on that and, and has done, a a lot of work to get that list to us. Um, so we are working on a candidate questionnaire that we're okay. going to email to all of the congressional candidates, um, U.S. congressional candidates, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we'll be providing that information to our membership and mm -hmm. really anybody who happens upon the site um, right. uh, as, as far as who is supportive or not supportive of, of vaping. Right. Um, and we're also interested uh, in, you know, deploying this this questionnaire at the state level. Uh, mm -hmm. We sort of have, you know, we're, we're taking on Congress. That's at least 435. Well, it's not, it's not 400. Not all congressional seats are up for grabs. So right. it's 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 hundreds though. It's hundreds of, of candidates, uh, and. Uh, uh, so we've got all of that information that will need to be sorted through. Uh, and then of course you have the down ballot races. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're interested in, in providing that information. Possibly we'll be looking at some key States, um, not likely all 50, but, uh, it's something that we'll need some help for. So in the coming weeks, um, maybe we'll have some more information about how people could get involved and help us out with that project. But uh, I definitely cannot guarantee that we're going to be able to get this done for all 50 states. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a small organization. Uh, we have limited resources, but uh, we're going to do what we can. Uh, and, and certainly, um, I will, we will discuss maybe making this available for people that, that might be able to take it up on their own. The important thing here is that people are informed about where their candidates stand on this issue. And, uh, and we're working to get that done. Okay. Awesome. So, so um, <laughs> go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, were there any updates on the the uh, tour? Uh, yes, actually, that was uh, one of the next things I was going to get to. Um, okay. The uh, 
uh, we've sort of announced uh, the first, I believe, four or five dates, four dates. Um, the first four cities that we're going to be in, uh, no details on the events just yet. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but October 2nd, uh, there's going to be a rally in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. Then October 4th, there'll be an event in San Diego, California. Uh, October 6th, there's an event in Portland, Oregon. October 7th, there's an event in Tacoma, Washington. Um, tentatively, in between San Diego and Portland, we're looking at an event in, in Hayward, California. That's a Bay Area, okay. um, but nothing's confirmed yet. Um, okay. And so, yeah, those are the first four um, dates and cities that we've got. Uh, I am super excited about this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited to hang out with with all of the advocacy people uh -huh. uh, on, on an RV and uh, <laughs> super excited to uh, to work on this issue and, yeah. and and get this in front of lawmakers and the public and, um, and and really hope to move the dial in our direction. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's happening in like a couple weeks. So yeah. wow. <laughs> I've got a I've got a seven a.m. flight to Las Vegas on October first. Wow. Um, it's going to be brutal, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, still wow. still looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it actually sounds like fun. I <laughs> kind of so you guys could uh, could do video episodes from the RV. That's the plan. Um, right. I, I, no, nothing firm about it, but uh, I did reach out to somebody who, who does documentary work. Uh -huh. um, I reached out to him today, uh, waiting to see uh, whether that turns into to this person coming along for, for part or all of the tour. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it, that, that is going to be a, a pretty critical thing. Uh, we might get a short documentary out of this. Awesome. Um, we definitely want to want to take the opportunity to produce content that um, that people can share and use, and that we can present um, to, yeah. to whoever needs to see it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be uh, there. There should be pretty regular social media updates from the awesome. RV. I'm I'm going to be driving the whole time, so uh, yeah, my my well, participation might be a little limited. Well, right, but Greg is like the Twitter master. I mean, I've I've heard stories about Greg running on a treadmill and and tweeting at the same time. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'll have regular Twitter updates. Yeah, Greg is very talented. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so is that it for this evening, Alex? Uh, just a quick note for those that that may not know. Um, at some point, I believe it was last week. Uh, it was announced that the hearing date in October for the uh, NICAPURE right to be smoke free versus FDA um, lawsuit has been moved up to October 11th. Yep. It was previously October 19th. Now it is October 11th, um, yep. which is great because uh, I believe that it no longer now now it no longer conflicts with uh, I think the Safata conference Safata conference in right. uh, 
Safada. Did I just mess that up? That's uh, okay. The Safada conference in Miami on, uh, on the, the, the 20th, 19th, God. 20th, something like that. There's um, so much going on. It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, October's a busy month. Um, it's, yeah. it's busy for us. September's kind of busy. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, Congress is back in session. Um, and, uh, of course, Pennsylvania, the legislature's back in session. Um, mm -hmm. It's September. It's back to school. Uh, and then uh, and then we got an election coming up, which is just going to be a circus. Uh, uh, oh, it's not? Oh, wait. Donald Trump isn't speaking in your state tonight like he is in mine. It is a circus. Wow. That guy gets around. Yeah, he does. No, well, nobody wants to be in New Jersey right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm not, I am not normally spooked by some of these terrorism things. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's just because, I mean, these guys are are fairly disorganized, and and you know, even though they have managed to, to wreak some havoc, um, and it's always, it's usually, you know, not in my backyard. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, this guy was, you know, picking trash cans at random, and. Um, you know, if, if I if I walk a couple blocks, I can see Chelsea from the you know the Palisades here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm about 20 minutes from Elizabeth, and uh, you know, if, if you want to get into or out of Manhattan, I'm you know a stone's throw from either of the tunnels. Um, so uh, yeah, it was it was a little creepy this weekend. I gotta admit, and uh, I'm glad that uh, local law enforcement were able to to get that taken care of. Yeah. And uh, and I, I I don't doubt their capabilities, and and uh, I'm very grateful to the agencies working together to get that taken care of. So, say what you want about about uh, all of this stuff. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm I'm glad I can sleep a little bit easier tonight. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I absolutely agree. When it's a situation like that, you you, you definitely want you want good people out there watching your back then and, and luckily you had that yeah you know i mean and, and sort of uh, to speak to some of the things you were saying earlier i'm totally off the cassaw topic but you know whatever um <laughs> uh -huh. you know there were there were no like super sophisticated bits of technology that were used in tracking these guys down it was it was uh, i think ultimately some good old-fashioned police work um you know they got some fingerprints they checked some cell phone records and you had of course some engaged citizens that that uh um, you know, had their eyes open and were paying attention to things. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, you know, there's a little bit of video surveillance involved from what I understand, but, uh, you know, people being engaged and aware of their surroundings ultimately brought these guys to, to justice. So, yeah. Yeah. well, I mean, getting people engaged is the first part. Yeah. Way to bring that back to vaping. <laughs> hey, see? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I am I am very glad that you and your family are safe. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, maybe well, maybe we will see you next week. Um, next week, actually, I will probably be. Um, I, I'll either be driving back from Pennsylvania. I'm not exactly oh, sure what right. my plans are for Monday evening, okay. but right. uh, yes, I will be just to to bring up the, the schedule again um actually well tomorrow i'm headed up to syracuse okay. um there's a bit of a state safada get together in syracuse mm -hmm. um so if you're a safada member uh definitely check that out 
um, myself, Pamela Gorman, um, uh, I think Greg is going to be there, uh, Pivasardo is going to be there. Uh, so we'll all be on a panel at the the Safada New York State Conference, I guess, in uh, in Syracuse. Um, so there's an announcement out about that. And then on Monday, I'll be doing the, the anti-tax rally in Harrisburg. Ah, so okay. well, I'll try to make it, but if not, if not, you know where I'll be. I know exactly where you'll be. You'll be supporting our right to vape without choking on taxation. There you go. Thank you. See you next week or the week after or the week after that. <laughs> Stay I safe, Alex. So. Yeah, thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Good night. Right. See you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Jeannie is gone. Margo, are you there? Do you want to come on? Or no? That's cool. Yeah, I was going right. to say, if you know Margo ever wants to drop by, she's got the link. So, you know. Yeah, she can, she can just pop right in. Pop right in, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Sid, since we did the first two stories and then had a shiny moment and then had because I updated, I guess, I did promise we were going to do two stories about the NYPD. So I guess we will get to that. NYPD can't count cash they've seized because it would crash computers. Despite multi-million dollar evidence system, NYPD have no idea how much cash they seized. The New York Police Department takes in millions of dollars in cash each year as evidence, often keeping the money through a procedure called civil forfeiture. But as New York City lawmakers press for greater transparency into how much was being seized and from whom, a department official claimed providing that information would be nearly impossible because querying the four-year-old computer system that tracks evidence and property for the data would lead to system crashes. The system, the property and evidence tracking system, was built on top of SAP's Enterprise Resource Planning Software Platform and IBM's DB2 database by Capger, Capger Mini in 2012 and was used as a flagship study case study by the company's Pets Replacement uh, okay, company. Pets Replacement replaced the long-established paper-based evidence logging system used by the department and was supposed to revolutionize evidence and property tracking. It was even submitted into the 2012 Computer World Honors, an awards program honoring those who use information technology to benefit society. Even with the system, however, the NYPD's Assistant Deputy Commissioner, Robert Messner, told the New York City Council's Public Safety Committee that the department had no idea how much money it took in as evidence, nor did it have a way of recording how much was seized through civil forfeiture proceedings where property and money is taken from people suspected of involvement in a crime through a civil filing, and the individuals whom it is seized from are put in the position of proving uh, that the property was not involved in a crime of which they are accused. That often means that lower-income individuals who have cash and property seized can't get it back because of the legal costs involved. A bill being considered by the New York City Council would require the NYPD to provide data on the seizures that could be used to uncover abuses of the civil forfeiture process targeting, targeting low-income people. But Messinger asserted that attempts to perform the types of searches envisioned in the bill will lead to system crashes and significant delays during the intake and release process, the Village Voice reported. The only way the department could possibly comply with that bill would be a manual count of over half a million invoices each year. 
It is entirely possible that PETS, which allows for automating intake of evidence, may be so complex in its database configuration that producing the data sought by the bill would require major revisions into the multi-million dollar system. However, the NYPD has also invested heavily in the IBM DB2 database warehouse operation with the help of IBM Professional Services. So in theory, they should be able to perform much of the analytics offline without crashing the PETS system with a little more consulting help. So yeah, not really surprising, but I do think it's funny that technology is supposed to be the great liberator and they act like it is anything but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just shocked because that system should make everything instantly available. Although I guess it's like the electronic medical records thing. Like everything's safe, everything's secure, everything instantly available. Yeah, not so much. So. Well, yeah, I mean, they're using one of the best database systems in the world. IBM yeah. is still the world leader in that sort of technology. Uh, right. So the only thing it still is the leader in. But <laughs> So the fact that they, they can't keep proper track of it <laughs> is, it's, yeah, it's, it's them. It's not the, it's not the records. No, it, but it's concerning. Yeah. That either they didn't receive proper training in how to use it, or they're deliberately obscurificating the process. Yeah. Both. That <laughs> would be yeah. my guess. <laughs> Probably. I was going to say, I kind of lean towards the second, but I don't really know. Okay. Now, stingrays. <laughs> just just so you know, this story is about stingrays. Do you want the music? I do. Stand by for action. We are about to launch Stingray. Anything can happen in the next half hour. NYPD says talking about its IMSI catchers would make them vulnerable to hacking. I don't get that, but okay. Typically, cops don't like talking about IMSI catchers, the powerful surveillance technology used to monitor mobile phones en masse. In a recent case, the New York Police Department introduced a novel argument for keeping mum on the subject. Asked about the tools it uses, it argued that revealing the different models of IMSI catchers the force owned would make the devices more vulnerable to hacking. Civil liberties activists are not convinced. Christopher Soyan from the American Civil Liberties Union wrote in an affidavit as part of a petition against the NYPD's decision not to share this information. It would be a serious problem if the costly surveillance devices purchased by the NYPD without public competitive bidding are so woefully insecure that the only thing protecting them from hackers is the secrecy surrounding their model names. The New York Civil Liberties Union, an affiliate of the ACLU, has been trying to get access to information about the NYPD's IMSI catchers under the Freedom of Information Law. These devices are also commonly referred to as stingrays after a particularly popular model from Harris Corporation. Indeed, the NYCLU wants to know which models of IMSI catchers made by Harris the police department has. 
public disclosures of this information and the amount of taxpayer funds spent by these devices directly advances freedom of information law's purpose of informing a robust public debate about government actions, the NYLCU writes in a court filing. The group has requested documents that show how much money has been spent on the technology. After the NYPD withheld the records, the FOIA request was escalated to a lawsuit, which is where the NYPD's strange argument comes in, among others. Public disclosure of the specifications of the CSS cell site simulator technologies in NYPD's possession from the withheld records would make the software vulnerable to hacking and would jeopardize NYPD's ability to keep the technology secure, an affidavit from NYPD Inspector General Gregory Anstein dated August 17th reads. Anstein then imagines a scenario where a highly sophisticated hacker could use their knowledge of the NYPD's stingrays to lure officers into a trap and ambush them. But Segoyan responded in his affidavit, there is no legitimate cybersecurity justification to keeping secret the names of the particular Harris products used by the NYPD. The financial documents requested by the NYLCU wouldn't include the sort of detail needed by a hacker to break into or otherwise tamper with these devices. And the group has said the NYPD can redirect extra, uh, redact extra information, such as which network the devices target. According to Segoyan, none of the purchases or invoice records for Stingrays has have he has seen have revealed which specific software updates an agency used. Just as records revealing that an agency had purchased iPhones for officers would not reveal which particular iOS security updates the agency had or hadn't installed on those devices, he added. So basically now we're denying the public information because someone imagines I guess they imagine we live in the world of Mr. Robot, where all hackers are super hackers that can do things that can't really be done by hackers in real life. Well, to be fair, right, they're talking shit. Of course they are. Any, That's what I'm saying. Any, any, <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't take a super hacker. Any no. average hacker... If they detect a cell site simulator, they can detect which model it is and will be able to figure out what software it's using mm -hmm. in a couple of minutes. Right. I just They don't, don't need to know that. in advance which model, which operating... It doesn't matter. That's right. not how hacking works. <laughs> <laughs> Hackers I don't mean... sit there going, uh, oh, yeah, 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 NSA, yeah, it, uh, we're going to hack in, they're using an, uh, a Dell 1546 <laughs> computer, uh, so, and it'll be, it's running Windows 7, so yeah, we need this particular, it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think most people disregard what it takes to go into a successful hack. I mean, a lot of times it involves you know, interpersonal re reactions with people. Yeah, but the actual, you know? the actual technology hack itself is basically, yeah, the hackers are ready with packages of whatever they're going to be using. But uh -huh. in advance, they never know what exactly is in the system they're hacking. It's all done on the fly, live. <laughs> it's... <laughs> 
but I, I just couldn't believe that was their justification. Oh, someone might hack us and trap us. But really? They can do that anyway. But, <laughs> but the IMSI catcher doesn't entrap anybody. Yeah. But, is, is that what I'm supposed to take away from that? But if, if they're wanting to ambush a group of NYPD guys stinging the stingray, as it were, they <laughs> deliberately just get a dodgy cell phone, put it in the area they know there's an MC, Mm -hmm. uh, wait for the police to turn up and then do whatever it is they're going to do. They don't need to hack anything to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All they need is a piece of software on a phone telling them there's an MC catcher. Well, I mean, and actually you can just get the black phone and do that. You don't even need the black phone. I mean, you, I, well, I, 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 I put you onto the app for yeah. detecting cell site well, stimulators. I mean, so, you I mean, don't even, yeah. But if you have you know, 3G, well, if you have 4G, your phone drops down to 3G, you know, that's a pretty good clue. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's perfect, but you can tell. Well, I mean, the, the MC um, detector I've got on my phone, it actually gives you, you can look it up on a map, all the phone companies' cell towers, if you're getting a signal, if you're being locked onto a tower that isn't on that map, right. you can be fairly damn sure that it, it's it's a stingray of some sort. <laughs> so I mean, it's that easy. I mean, them going on, oh, these hackers. You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> stop lying just because you think we're more stupid than you are. Um, yep. And they, they don't know how their own technology works, so, yeah. Well, I mean, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, come on. And, yeah, ha hackers are a, a... There's a wide variety of them. There will be ones out there that specialise in MCs. Well, mm -hmm. we know there are. Uh, right. It's, the, the, a lot of them are employed in Israel designing the damn things. Because um, basically, to be able to do what the Stingray does, they are hacking the communications network. Yep. Yeah. Well, Some, I mean, something they like keeping quiet about. You know, it's like technically, unless they have the express written permission of the telecommunications company, they are basically hacking the system. Yeah. Just but saying. I know, but yeah. they're never going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> that's there. That's no. That's which is interesting because in the UK there are laws about that, and which is why law enforcement over here is much more wary about using them. It's because they could end up being prosecuted for hacking <laughs> using these uh, things if they haven't got proper permissions. Yeah, but I mean, it, they just they make. They make hackers sound like these omnipotent gods. It just it annoys me. Not fourteen year olds in their mother's yeah mother's yeah, house. It, yeah. yeah, it's I find that fucking annoying. I'm just saying, and and not everyone is sitting in their mother's basement, obviously. No, I mean there's all different. As I say, there's a kinds. wide variety of hackers. Yes, and uh, the ones but that cause just... the most trouble are though the kids sitting in their parents' house. Um, well. I mean, what's really interesting, and I'll probably do this story next, but um, 
you've talked you've heard me talk about the blog shiner on security yeah before it, it it's one of the better blogs um it discusses a lot of security issues and, and breaks it down so even an idiot can understand them. So I, I tend to read a lot of this stuff. And it was a couple of months ago he started tracking all of these places being pulled offline. Um, pulled offline, DDoS attacks, and just looking at them. Okay, this is a system that's never been taken offline before. Okay, it was taken offline for like... Eight hours, it wrecked all kind of havoc with the financial system here. Okay, then why is this health system being taken out? And why is this being taken out? And he came to this conclusion that someone is learning how to completely take down the internet. Which is a... It's a novel thought, but I could see it being a reality. Basically, hackers have been doing that since the internet was invented, though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, but that's one of the things they get up to. I think they're getting better at it because now it's getting worrisome. Well, right? it's Either not that they're, they're getting, getting better, better at it, it. it's or... just that the internet's bigger than it was, so it's easier right. to take down or, bits of it. Sure, or everything's so insecure that it's just easier to do now, so it's easier to trace these patterns, right? Yeah, now, everything, everything has a pattern from like history to numbers to words in the English language, there's a certain there's a certain pattern to them. And if you're smart, you'll see them. And I, I think people are just starting to see that pattern in the sites that are being taken down. And then it's not just sites. It's areas where entire portions of internet traffic are routed through are being yeah. completely taken down. You've got nodes to things like Skype or Tor just being completely dismantled. It's it's pretty interesting stuff, and you would have to read his stuff for at least a year or two to, to get why he says somebody's trying to dismantle the internet. Hmm. Um, which, of course, kind of makes sense to me. Um, like you said, that's something people get up to. It's, uh, it's, one, of, it's one of the human natures. That people like breaking things. Mm-hmm. There's a certain mindset of people. That's what they want to do. Yeah. Oh, exactly. But, and I can see where it's worrying for someone who's heavily invested in making the internet secure, making it anonymous, all those sorts of things. Um, but like you said, it's just something that happens, and it's something that people do. So, I thought this was really good. This story is called. If someone is testing ways to take down the internet, perhaps it's time to build a stronger internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the story's called. There's been a lot of buzz over respected computer security expert Bruce Shiner recently talking about how someone or some organization, or most likely some state actor, is running a series of tests that appear to be probing for ways to take down the entire internet. Basically, a bunch of critical infrastructure providers have noticed some interesting attacks on their systems that look like they're probing to determine defenses. Recently, some of the major companies that provide the basic infrastructure that makes the internet work have seen an increase in DDoS attacks against them. Moreover, they have seen a certain profile of attacks. These attacks are significantly larger than the ones they're used to seeing. They last longer, they're more sophisticated, and they look like probing. 
one week the attack would start at a particular level of attack and slowly ramp up before starping. The next week it would start at that higher point and continue, and so on along those lines, as if the attacker were looking for the exact point of failure. The attacks are also configured in such a way as to see what the company's total defenses are. There are many different ways to launch a DDoS attack. The more attack vectors you employ simultaneously, the more different defenses the defender has to counter with. These companies are seeing more attacks using three or four different vectors. That means the companies have to use everything they've got to defend themselves. They can't hold anything back. They're forced to demonstrate their defensive capabilities for the attacker. This article is getting a collective, oh shit, that's bad kind of reaction from many online. And that's about right. But shouldn't it also be something of a call to action to build a better system? In many ways, it's still incredible that the internet actually works. There are still elements that feel held together by duct tape and handshake agreements. And while it's been surprisingly resilient, that doesn't mean it needs to remain that way. Schreiner notes, there's nothing really that can be done about these tests, and that's true in the short term. But it seems to me like it should be setting off alarm bells for people to rethink how the internet is built and to make things even more distributed and less subject to attacks on critical infrastructure. People talk about how the internet was originally supposed to be designed to withstand a nuclear attack and keep working. But the reality has always been that there are a few choke points. It seems like now would be a good time to start fixing things. So the choke points are no longer so critical. Which yeah. is absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, uh, the funny one is there's a security guy in the UK uh, uh -huh. He's an independent guy, but he gets attacked okay. all day, every day, and has been for years. Uh, right. But he finds it hilarious because um, he, he's an encryption and data specialist. Um, right. One of his main things is tracking down uh, people using malicious software. So yeah, that's why he gets attacked all the time. Uh -huh. And uh, I think I, re I remember last year reading an article from him, and he's like, "Yeah, I keep getting all these DDoS attacks and all that." You know. they've, <laughs> they've, they've, the worst one, you know, it lasted a week. Just, they, they managed to, you know, take care of five percent of my <laughs> my bandwidth, just because of the way he's layered the defenses for his computer system. And he is employed, you know, one of the other things he does is companies can bring him in to layer their security, because that's what it comes down to. It's not make one thing stronger. What you need to do is make have layers of defense so that, like these multi-point attacks, mm -hmm. if you've got your defenses layered, each of those different vectors is hitting a different system so overall, they can't take your capacity down any great deal. And yeah, the the companies are twigging onto this uh, slowly. But I mean, the best example is the banks. <laughs> Although hackers have more trouble, you need to think with the banks, mainly down to the fact that the banks like using outdated equipment. Um, well, that mean, lots of the hackers just can't get their heads around. <laughs> Well, I mean, can you, can you? I can't believe they're. What are they running? All the ATMs are on 
is it Windows 95? Um, yeah. Well, some are on 95, some are on 98, some are on XP. Well, it's not XP, yeah. but it's the yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's Windows the commercial 2000 version or whatever. Of yeah. Um, I mean, that's terrifying. That's where you go. Yeah, to and I've, I've said before, lots of the banks, their backbone infrastructure is on Unix <laughs> and older in some cases. So, yeah, mm-hmm. hackers have hell of a trouble because literally modern computers have trouble talking to the older computers. Yeah. Old granddad like- computers sitting there. It's struggling to be an eight-bit computer, and you're trying to hack in using sixty-four-bit computers. It's, it's, it's not easy. As I say, there's, uh, I know several people who work for banks, and their job—that's all they do all day—is keep communications between the diff- different systems going, because <laughs> it falls down all the time. Yeah, it's sad. That well, whenever you see these mass things where cash machines aren't working. Mm-hmm. across huge parts of the world. It's usually down to, yeah, the Windows system has, has stopped talking to the Unix system properly. So <laughs> so this means well, nobody can access their money. Uh, you know, well, things I like mean, that. Well, I've also seen it where every ATM, uh, not just the ATMs, but every ATM and every credit card, debit card reader in my entire town has been down. That's some freaky shit. That's usually yeah. There's there's a node. There's a there's a a node at the bank that has stopped talking to the other ones. Basically, now that can be down to it just happened, or yeah, you sometimes get hackers. But (laughs) more normally, it's yeah, the systems have just stopped talking to each other. Somebody needs to go in and basically turn it off and turn it back on again. (laughs) So basically, what you're saying is the swirly screen of death comes up and you need to reboot. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's it, it that that to me that's more worrying than anything hackers get up to. It's the fact that lots of our infrastructure is on equipment that can fall over at the when you breathe on it wrong. Um. Well, yeah, but it, it's honestly, I think hackers are are pretty interesting, and they're actually good. They're like a, a an immune system for the internet. Yeah, right. As they attack harder. The immune system has to get stronger. But yeah. like you said, an old weak system is going to fall down. <laughs> Eventually it's going to wheeze its last breath. And it's just funny to me that banks that have all this money don't invest any money in changing these older systems over. It, it seems like that would be a smart place for them to invest their money. Well, it's, as I've said it before, it's kind of down to a paranoia that... Oh, well, we know that works. We don't want to have new stuff because it might not work. They're like, yeah, the old stuff's eventually going to break down and eventually there aren't going to be, there isn't going to be anybody who can repair it. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. The banks are cottoning on to this. <laughs> they, they are upgrading their systems, but they're doing it so slowly. As I say, I mean, I, I first did computing in 1990, officially, mm-hmm. at university. Right. And it was all Unix systems. And it's people of my era that that, that are working at these banks because (laughs) the younger people don't know any of that shit. I mean, some of them do now because they have to learn it. You know, they get brought in, right? You're going to be learning off this person how all this equipment works. And there's all these young people going, 
What do you mean? What, what's a command line interface? What? what eh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what any of that stuff is. I'm not going to lie to you. you command line would... interface, CLI. It's, it's DOS, basically. That's what DOS okay. was. Basically, you had okay. to type commands in and hit enter. None of this dragging and dropping nonsense. There wasn't a visual interface. Everything was done with text. And you, you, they don't well, teach that. that like they don't teach that on courses anymore. They haven't done for a bit. That, that quite some like time. Fun. Yeah, that's how I learned computers. Yeah. Yeah. You had to put in commands line by line. Oh boy! You could run batch codes, but we won't go into that because you're not a tech geek. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a tech geek, but I'm not an old tech geek. Yeah. I'm kind of a new tech geek, or the, a more of a privacy tech geek. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, for the the non the, the people who don't know old computer systems, batch coding, basically it was a text file. Because you could pre-prepare commands, save it as a text document, and then get the computer to run it. And basically the computer does it line by line. Batch file. Sounds terribly. What is the word? Archaic. No, not not <laughs> slow. Even so much archaic. So, yes, it it sounds terribly slow and very time consuming. Yeah, I mean this is before the 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 operating systems and chips used in the systems themselves had large instruction sets. So yeah, and you had to give them very specific, long, detailed instructions on how to do everything. Oh God. Fun. Um, yeah. So, like, basically, it's something like Bank of Nigeria would be running on now. Probably not. Nigerians are actually a pretty tech-savvy country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they keep trying to give me money. No. Oh, <laughs> come on! The FBI keep trying to give me money. <laughs> I've shown you the emails I've received. It's hilarious. Yes, I know. Oh well, I I kind of enjoy that. I I keep getting. Yeah, emails from Nigerian princes and yeah, stop. You see, I don't get, the UK doesn't really get the Nigerian princes anymore. They're far too busy doing the YouTube um, copyright hit scam in Nigeria <laughs> these days. Yeah. Well, at least they found a way to make money off the internet, I guess. But... Oh yeah, you got to give them that. But that's, <laughs> that's what I mean. There's all different types of hackers. Some of them aren't actually breaking into systems. Some of them are just exploiting systems. Well, the most vulnerable part of a system is the person who runs it. So uh -huh. the people that do the email scamming are actually just... You know, well, the, the old, one of the oldest person. computer jokes is the issue is between the keyboard and the chair. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm -hmm. makes a lot of people in the system that's that's the that's what causes 99 percent of the problems yeah that's where your vulnerability is um okay this this bothered me actually a lot of stuff bothered me it bothered me when there was a paper that called for its own source to be prosecuted this week that pissed me off. I decided I want to talk about it. Was a, a, a prominent Washington paper, I believe, yes. Yes. That may yes. have been bought by a certain billionaire uh, yeah. between the two events. Yes. But in no yeah. way does he, he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> take any part in the editorial process, honest Gav. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. There is none of that. They're completely hands-off. Yeah. So, as if journalism didn't suck more and more every year, which it does. That's why, honestly, that's why, you know, we look at other stuff when we're looking for stories to put up here. I mean, I know um, most mainstream media just is horrifying to me, so I try to look for stuff that's got better sources and if i can't find three or four sources that confirm what a story says it doesn't i, I won't talk about it. it won't go up on here um the fbi's own watchdog signs off on agents impersonating impersonating journalists this is from the intercept by the way a new report from the justice department inspector general concludes that fbi agents can go undercover and impersonate journalists as long as they sufficiently consult FBI headquarters. The Inspector General's office investigated a case from 2007 where undercover FBI agents impersonated a journalist from the Associated Press. FBI regulations at the time did not prohibit agents from impersonating journalists or from posing as a member of a news organization, the report concluded. And such tactics would still be permissible today under new guidelines issued in 2016, the report said, as long as the agents sought various high-level approvals. In 2007, a high school student in Timberline High School near Seattle used proxy internet servers to conceal his identity while emailing repeated bomb threats to his school. Unable to identify the sender, Seattle police asked the FBI's Northwest Cybercrime Task Force for help. FBI agents hatched a plan. An undercover agent sent the student email impersonating an editor for the Associated Press. That email included links to a fake news site designed to look like the Seattle Times, and when the sender clicked on them, the links installed location-revealing malware on the student's computer. According to the account, an account in the Inspector General's report, agents did not disclose to their higher-ups that they intended to pose as journalists. After the arrest, the supervisory special agent in charge of the case sent an urgent report addressed to then-FBI Director Robert Mueller. But according to the Inspector General, the report did not describe the tactic of impersonating a journalist. The tactic came to light in 2014 based on FBI documents obtained by the Electronic Frontier Foundation. It generated an outcry from journalists who argued that having government agents pose as reporters undermined the credibility of journalists looking to protect their sources. FBI Director, the man who lives in Candyland, James Comrie, defended the practice in a letter to the editor of the New York Times, saying, we do use deception at times to catch crooks, but we're acting responsibly and legally. Romney also said that the FBI actions followed FBI guidelines at the time, but major news organizations disagreed. The Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, along with 25 other news organizations, sent a letter to Comrie calling the impersonation inexcusable and charging the FBI with violating its own guidelines, about when an agent can go undercover. The Reporters Committee and the Associated Press later sued for any documents outlining the FBI's guidelines for impersonating reporters and obtained one redacted memo that admitted the agents violated their own guidelines. Then it concluded the FBI's failure to observe its own guidelines was not unreasonable. That's awesome. We're gonna, we're, we will check and see if we did anything wrong. No, we didn't, even though we did. In June 2016, the FBI issued new interim guidelines to regulate undercover impersonation of journalists. 
The new policy prohibits FBI employees from engaging in undercover activity in which they represent, pose, or claim to be members of the news media unless the activity is authorized as part of an undercover operation, the report explained. Approval is required from the head of the FBI field office, undercover review committee at headquarters, and the deputy director of the FBI after consultation with the deputy attorney general. Uh, the reporters committee made clear on Thursday that they strongly objected to such a permissive policy. Such a policy can seriously damage both the public's trust in the free press and the ability of journalists to hold government accountable, said Dan Boardman, chairman of the steering committee for the reporters committee in a statement. We urge the Justice Department to take seriously the need for reform and the importance of protecting the integrity of the news gathering process. <laughs> sorry, Anybody sorry. who watches the news even badly has to question that, but go ahead. Well, it's one of these ones where the, there's, there's stuff from both sides. Right. I can understand why, at times, law enforcement rather need to pretend to be reporters. It's not new. It's been going on a long time. Right. But, f but on the other score, yeah, it should have lots of oversight. Um, but, th but as you say, that last bit, you know, reporters going, it is terrible. Oh, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, blacken our name. It's like, how could it get any worse? <laughs> you assholes. You've been caught doing much worse shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the UK, the phone hacking scandal, <laughs> and yet you have the press going, "Oh, we we, we need you know we, we need all this oversight." Really, you don't. Your freedom of the I, press is all very well, but you guys run around breaking the law all the time, and try and use freedom of the press to cover cover it. It's like, was, yeah. But it's not just that. I mean, here in America, we had Operation Mockingbird. For how long? How can you trust the press? Yeah. I mean, and they're, oh, oh, they're going to ruin our name. It's like, what? <laughs> That's insane. Exactly. You actually Which believe I, what you just said? So, I mean, I think it's funny too. It, it bothers me because yeah. I think, and I've said it before, I really like the work WikiLeaks is doing, although they're doing some, some amazingly dangerous shit. If, uh -huh. if you go through their stuff, be aware. You don't really want to click a lot of links there. Um, no. Uh, and if you do, you want them sandboxed at the very least. Yeah, we're um, back to the old hackers problem again. Yeah. Yeah. They're not taking precautions to protect the people looking at the stuff. No. They're not redacting stuff that implicates they're not taking any precautions at all people yeah, yeah it's it's frightening but they're also dumping a lot more truth out there than most of the news organizations i'm looking at i'm looking at you new york times i'm looking at you washington times i mean it it's very the level of journalism is pathetic yeah. You don't have good journalism in this country. There is no more fourth estate. There is the fifth estate. Well, of I mean, the the UK the UK used to separate it into broadsheet and tabloid, mm -hmm. but you can't do that anymore. There's basically no. only tabloid. <laughs> yeah, it, it's basically it's basically the whole the whole the whole of news media is now basically on the level of the news magazines you used to get in supermarkets. 
that, um, that's what they all do now. It's all just scare stories and they don't research and <laughs> it's yeah. like they make I, shit I, up. They hack people's I, phones. I like when they, you know. Oh god, I like when they and I don't watch TV much, right? So yeah. a lot of my exposure to this stuff is secondhand through people will send me links to videos on YouTube. And let's go for the Twitter reaction. What the fuck yeah. is that? Why if you're a serious news gathering thing sorry CNN I can't even call you a news organization if you're serious about news gathering why are you getting your tips on Twitter and why are you going to Wikipedia to research this yeah. it's not journalism journalism is old fashioned detective work and it's boring and it's drudgerous but you fact check you don't go to Twitter you know it, it's I know the times have changed but this is as you say this not... this week for uh, for a paper that won a Perlitzer based on a, a certain story to then basically completely reverse position and go oh no it's terrible oh lock 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 them lock that source up it's like you you won awards based on that shit <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> when was there a fourth estate um gosh I don't know well it's still there. Is it? Well, as I, mean, I say, I in the UK, we still have the likes of Private Eye, which is no, you've, you've independent, got but some it's tiny. Yeah. Well, right. You've got Private Eye, you've got um, The Guardian. And, and the Guardian's the starting to go tabloid yeah, well, as well, so yeah. Well, yeah, they, they did lose some good reporters there. Yeah. But, but yeah, know, it's mostly tiny reason... independents these days. There isn't a... The, large fourth estate the the only reason that they were allowed to do the work that they did is because they were run by trusts yeah you, you know what i mean there was an endowment given to them upon someone's death that allowed them to run and tell the truth it's not so much like that well that's, that's why i i always mention private eye because it's one of the few remaining it's it's a trust-based um, news or news? Well, it's more a magazine than a newspaper. But yeah, I mean, they've done amazing things. Like um, the guy who runs it, um, Hislop, Ian Hislop. Uh, he he's, he spent a lot of his life in court uh, since he took over Private Eye, because um, he keeps getting sued by well everybody. But um. When when the the expenses scandal for the MPs happened, for instance, a, couple, a few mm -hmm. years ago, uh, yeah, he 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 appears on a weekly um, news comedy show panel show, yeah, and and it, and it was on air at the time. This story quote broke, mm -hmm. and he actually said, "He's like, we reported on this five years ago. How come it's only now that you guys are <laughs> paying attention to it?" Well, um, so that's it. They're they're a trust, but they're so small and tiny that the general yeah. public really Doesn't have no idea. Well, yeah, no. I mean, and what I'm going to—that was thank you for the Wikipedia link on the Fifth Estate. Uh, I would make an argument that Wikipedia 
it's good. I mean, it's good. I, I contribute to them. I do. Some of the so editor arguments are hilarious. I've been banned from there. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not allowed to post things anymore. So I'm, I'm just as bad as anybody else when it comes to trolling. It's just what I care about that I troll about. Um, I would say that the fourth estate has become something else. I mean, it obviously is the propaganda arm of the government. Um, well, no, no, it's not the propaganda arm of the government. It's a propaganda arm of whoever it is that pays them. Right, but so many of them have... I, I've talked about this before, and I'm going to talk about it again. I remember sitting and watching C-SPAN because that is about the only TV I will get up to watching. And there was, when they have that um, that gala every year for the reporters, the president has a, a dinner for them, the correspondence dinner. Uh, yeah, I'm everybody aware of that. was showing up in what? Yeah, I know about that. Yes. Okay. So everybody showed up in their glittering gowns and, and what have you, their tuxes, their nice suits. And they were being interviewed before they went in, which is just weird in itself. Strange to see it on C-SPAN, right? Everybody's going in. And so the person interviewing them talks about how the strategic partnerships between the government and the news media are really changing the world and, and how important it is, you know, that everybody be on the same page. And everybody's agreeing with this and saying how wonderful it is that they can partner with the government now. And and it, it's just, it's horrible stuff. It is. It's no better than Voice of America. Yeah. Voice of America is what we released what we used to release out to the world as our form of propaganda and voice of America is the most boring, God awful shit you will ever sit through or read it. Most of it is factually correct, but it is the version of America. We want the world to see. Yeah. If you go to voice of America today, which can now legally broadcast and be shown to Americans. Thank you so much. Congress. Um, you will see that, any place that does any sort of serious journalism, the stories are pretty much the same word for word. I think the idea of fifth estate is appealing. Do I think you have the power with Ma and Pa in the Midwest that a traditional newspaper has? No. Um, but I also think a fifth estate has to include WikiLeaks in it, which didn't start as a fifth estate. It started as something called the fifth column. And you want to look that concept up. And it's terrifying to me that the fifth column has now become something like the fourth estate, because you can't trust anything that comes from the media because of the bias. And I have a bias. I fully admit it. I fully admit I have a bias. I'm libertarian but i lean to the left and a lot of the news stories that i talk about have bias i fully admit it i'm not gonna lie not well gonna any, anyone who anyone any individual who claims they don't have bias is a moron because everyone has a bias of some sort 
yes. on every subject they talk about. It's mm. just the way humans are. You have your opinion. That's bias. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. But yeah, I mean the 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 ultimate in coziness between press and government is it was, was David Cameron in the UK. It's despicable. But it's You know, despicable. it's you know, he's a godson of one of Murdoch's kids or whatever. Or Murdoch's <laughs> the godfather of one of Cameron I can't remember exactly. And Cameron basically one of his neighbours was Rebecca Brooks, the editor, that got in trouble over the phone hacking. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she'd, she'd borrowed horses off him for her kids to go riding and shit like that, you know. And it, but, <laughs> but, there's, but there's no strong, like, you know, no, no, they never, you know, the, the newspapers in no way affected policy, according to, <laughs> according to the Conservatives. You're like, yeah, right. <laughs> you, you're having dinner with these people every couple of weeks and you're saying, yeah, you never talk about politics while you're at least dinner. No, 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 no. I mean... That's just kind of how things are. There's always going to be a bias to anything you read. Yeah. But I read everything. I'll read, I'll read the New American, and the New American is very strongly rooted in a group that had a lot of pull a very long time ago with the government. Um. It um, it has a very right leaning bias to its stories. I, I am aware yeah, of that... it, but due to the parody of it in Watchmen, <laughs> yeah, the Frontiersman, right. which was a parody yeah. of the same thing. Yeah, I was thinking about the Watchmen today. I was yeah. just thinking about Rorschach. Um, <laughs> he's my favorite. He, like, he he is the standout character from the 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 story. Because he's the most human in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Despite being completely fringing about shit crazy. <laughs> I, I think at one point he had to have been normal. I think you see enough shit, it changes you. Uh, no, no. When you read, If you read the whole story, he was never normal. I don't <laughs> His mean, upbringing didn't allow him to be. Uh, but I don't mean like sparklingly normal. But I think yeah. at some point he could walk around and blend. You know what I he mean? He does. He walks around with his sign blending. That's the whole point. <laughs> Everybody you know just ignores I mean. him. You know what I mean. Yeah. When he hasn't got his proper face on. Yeah. Everybody yeah. just ignores him. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. till he's in jail. And, and, and then they try and avoid him after a while. Um. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine why. But yeah. No, he's my favorite. Um, yeah. And. Yeah. Watchmen. Great, oh, great, great, great commentary on um, the modern era. Yeah, and not just on superheroes, but on the media, media politics, general role of the public politics. Really great series of, and you can't call them comics; they are graphic novels. They are. Yeah, they're novels basically, just with pictures. Just pictures. Excellent, excellent work. Alan Moore, um, one of the best writers. Alan Moore, V yeah. for Vendetta. Yes. Really great writer. And his stuff, sadly, doesn't translate so well to film. No. Which is a shame, because I think The Watchmen had an opportunity 
to do so much more than what they did with the film they made. It wasn't bad. Well, they ended up with three films rather than... <laughs> right, People but don't realise that. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It did not live up to its Well, the, the, the... It's very telling that the first director who really wanted to do it eventually just walked away because even he said, this can't be filmed. That was Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Now, when you got somebody as talented and quirky as Gilliam going... Yeah, I can't make this into a film. Then, yeah, anyone else was going to struggle. Oh yeah, no, it it definitely great film. Like I said, V for Vendetta. He's he's done some amazing work. The man is completely strange and weird as a human being. I I don't understand what planet yeah. he's on, but his graphic novels are amazing. And even though they're dark and violent and some parts are extremely depraved. They manage to speak to so much of the human condition. I would definitely urge people who have only seen the films of, especially Watchmen and V for Vendetta, if you've only seen the film, you need to go read the book. You do. Because it's completely You're... different. <laughs> you are missing In both cases. so much. Well, you stuff gets changed because of the film, because studios are like, oh no, you can't show that. Like, um... Watchmen, the stuff to do with the the completely stupid ways they changed Rorschach's backstory. Yeah. And the completely stupid way they changed the finale, as it were. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't appear to have been a reason for either of these things. Oh, we'll change it. Is that, but well, now the story doesn't make as much sense, you assholes. <laughs> they don't care about sense. They only care about what tests well with audiences. Well, I mean, the studio did say, and Alan Moore also said, it's like the average audience member will not understand this story. And yeah. he's right. Because well, it's, it's one of those stories that you need to read multiple times and mm -hmm. there's still going to be stuff you're going to be missing. I, I had a Because it did experience. take the guy, was it 15 years to write that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know. Right. But, I mean, I had a similar experience when I went to see Dune. Had yeah. I not read the books, the original version of Dune would have made no fucking sense to me. Yeah. I've read the Dune books. Good books. Actually, oh, yeah. another really good social commentary about environmentalism and the planet... And Politics, and social engineering, people. science, yes, yeah, everything. Excellent, yeah. excellent stuff. Everything Yet again, took him, took him a long time <laughs> to write that shit. <laughs> it did, and it's great stuff. It's great stuff. It really, as old as the first Dune books are, they're still, they still manage to again speak to the human condition. Great stuff. Well, yeah, the it's movie? back. It's back to a writer creating a whole world. Well, in this, in the case of Dune, a whole universe. Mm -hmm. um, although well, it isn't really; it's mostly just worlds. But yeah, you know what I mean. I do, but so it takes yeah. more than one reading to understand even twenty percent of it. I mean, even characters' motivations, or the environment on certain planets, or rituals discussed in but, but june is a good one because there have yeah. the, the film adaptation got some things right uh mm -hmm. but lots of things wrong so much so it that did. the director took his name off it because uh, <laughs> the studio <laughs> were messing about with it so much uh, I mean, but the miniseries also uh, have you seen the miniseries 
No. Other oh, right, there's a mini, a fairly good mini series of Dune okay. as well, uh, which encompasses parts of the first two books. Um, ah. So that would definitely make it more complete. Yeah. Probably more it gets some stuff right and other yeah. stuff wrong, which is good in a way because the the two while they're telling the same story are doing it in different perspectives. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. What I was, what I was, I guess, trying to say is, the world of Dune in the original film that David Lynch tried to direct was yeah. very different from the world of Dune as you read it. Yeah. Extremely different. He, he made it a lot more garish and nice, basically. Uh, <laughs> that, but that's what David Lynch does. He makes things yes. very garish. He's an interesting director. Um, the cat. Can... What, what was it with the cat? I mean, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to explain that to the audience. If you haven't seen it, because that Dune wasn't in a... the book. No, <laughs> Dune is actually it's actually worth a watch. If you if you haven't seen it, and I don't know how you can have missed it because there there were points there where sci-fi was running that every third weekend. Which version so is the the, the, the question original that. version of, of yeah. the film? Because there is a director's a sort of director's cut, which I think Lynch put his name back on, <laughs> so it stopped being an Alan Smithy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but originally, you see that um, if if Lynch had got what he wanted, you'd have had like mm -hmm. a six hour film or something. But it it needed to be, but it. Yeah. it well, that's it why you have to say when it was redone as a miniseries. Three or four different films. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It did. It, it did. But it is another of those okay. that, yeah, it's going to be. It's all, it was always going to be difficult to get it on film because well, it's just a complex source yeah, material. When you went to go see Doom, okay, you get your tickets. You go sit down. I was very young. They handed out a booklet. <laughs> guide you to, to yeah. a guide to Dune. You yes. had to read it to understand the film. Yes, that's how complex this was, which is why I said it really did need to be three or four films. Well, I first so. read Dune, the Dune series, when I was eleven. I was very young when I, I read Dune, Not but I, you have, yeah. You have to understand. The film adaptation has its good points. Sting is chillingly good in his role. Yeah. Sting is a total badass. Yes. In that. Faith Rutha. Yes. <laughs> very, very good. Um, like and said, his brother. Parts... <laughs> oh, can't remember the name of the actor, but he does well as the Beast. Yes. There are. Go ahead. It just the casting was damn good in the film. Yeah, no. And yeah, yeah. Been... I mean, it kicked off uh, Kyle MacLachlan's career. Okay, Kyle MacLachlan has mainly worked with David Lynch in most. <laughs> <laughs> most of much. his major work has been with yeah, but yeah, David Lynch, it, yeah. it got his career going because he did really yeah. well for a young mm -hmm. actor. Because yeah, a hell I of mean... a role to be cast in. Oh yeah. yeah. We want you to. Portray the most powerful being who's ever existed in the universe. Really? 
Andy what? Grove. Eh? <laughs> but we want you to portray him in the bit where he's coming out of adolescence and going into adulthood. <laughs> Pardon? What? Eh? Um, the strange thing about Dune is uh, the writer's heirs have continued to write books that I don't think are nearly as good. They're okay. I, I, mean, they're I not, wish they're not bad. They're better than a lot of stuff that gets written. But yeah. Well, I wish. Was it Kevin? Wish, Kevin Anderson and yeah. Yeah, but I wish they would quit yeah. fiddling about. Um, it was good as it was. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, I, 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 I like the history ones. You know, the pre-June ones where you know it's uh -huh. the it's and Jihad and all that kind of stuff. Because yeah, yeah, it's good to have a bit of backstory. Explaining why some of the things in June happen. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it's never uh, really explained in yeah. June why some of the things just are. Yeah. But in yeah, Herbert just couldn't be arsed explaining it. Basically, <laughs> he <laughs> no, knew what he, he just, meant. <laughs> you you came in and you did. Well, I mean, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings and the Cimmerillion. Oh, yeah. You might as well just dash your head against the wall if you're going to read the Cimmerillion. Understand what they were trying to do. I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that your heirs are going to succeed where you, where you maybe failed. And I don't think any of those writers failed at what they did. They created a world that people loved, and and sometimes that just has to be enough. Um. Okay, I'm trying to remember what else I said we were going to cover. NYPD, the TSA, the FBI. Uh... Yeah. I think I covered everything I said I was going to. There, there uh, is the stuff on Italy. <laughs> yeah, no, I do that, try that to cover. Probably could be wait if you don't want to do it. So yeah. Well, I mean, I try to cover international stuff. I'm not sure anybody's interested. Well, actually, I bet people are interested in this. The craziness um, of Italian law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was going to talk about the the IRS tax loophole. Oh, that yeah about the water it it kind of it matters if you live in california <laughs> definitely so, matters yeah yeah uh irs tax loophole can reward excessive water use in drought stricken west i had a we had a massive shiny moment earlier experts fear tax deductions for water use as a depleted asset could actually worsen the crisis as rivers and reservoirs dry up probablica also a really good I can't say a really good journalistic source, but they do excellent work. Uh, ProPublica's reporting on the water crisis in the American West has highlighted any number of confounding contradictions worsening the problem. Farmers are encouraged to waste water so as to protect their legal rights to its dwindling supply in the years ahead. Las Vegas sought to impose restrictions on water use while placing no checks on its explosive population growth. The federal government has encouraged farmers to improve efficiency in watering crops, but continues to subsidize the growing of thirsty crops, such as cotton in desert states like Arizona. Today, we offer another installment in the contradictions amid a crisis. In parts of the western U.S., wracked by historic drought, you can get a tax break for using an abundance of water. That's a typo, right? A joke. No. But we understand your bafflement. The Colorado River has been trickling its largest reservoirs less than half full. As recently as 2014, parts of Texas literally almost dried up. The National Academy of Sciences predicts the Southwest may be on the cusp of its worst dry spell in a thousand years. 
Scientists are warning that the backup plan, groundwater aquifers from California to Nebraska, are all being sucked dry. But yes, the tax breaks exist in part of eight high plains states. Here's how it works. Farmers, or anyone who uses water in a business, can ask the IRS for a tax write-off on what's called, called a depleted asset. In certain places, water counts as an asset, just like oil or minerals like copper. The more water gets used, the more cash credit farmers can claim against their income tax. And that's just what about almost 3,000 Texas landowners in just one water district appear to have done last year. A year in niche which nearly half of Texas was in a state of severe or extreme drought. How much can they write off? A bunch, it seems, especially if you're a big farm and own a lot of land. We talked to an accountant in Loveland, Texas. He had a client who wrote off $10,000. Whatever you buy land, you're getting the dirt. And of course, you're getting the water, said Shamayat, the accountant. And the idea is that the water is part of what you paid for in the land deal. If the aquifer was 50 feet deep at the time of the land sale and it drops to 10 feet in a dry year, then that farmer can deduct one-fifth of the value and so on until all the water is gone. That's not going to do much to conserve water, is it? No, it's not. In fact, it's an incentive to do the exact opposite. A farmer who tries to use less water because of the drought, say by switching to really effective irrigation techniques, could actually make less money. His water might last longer, but producing his crop would get a lot more expensive. We called Nicholas Brovik, an associate professor of agricultural economics and director of policy at the University of Nebraska's Robert B. Daughtry Water for Food Institute. He'd actually never heard of the water deduction. It's that obscure, but he laid out some textbook economics. If you're overusing your water, then you're depleting it, he said. And if the government pays for that, they're subsidizing that depreciation. The more you deplete the groundwater, the higher your tax exemption, and that must create an incentive not to conserve, he said. Hasn't the federal government spent billions of dollars subsidizing conservation and the protection of the West's groundwater, in part by building dams and encouraging people to use the water in rivers instead? Why would they forfeit federal tax dollars to do the opposite? We called the IRS and they initially shared our doubts. Not because they cared much about groundwater, it's a tax agency, but because they said they were pretty sure no such deduction was legal. They pointed us to Section 613 of the tax code, and it couldn't be more explicit. For the purposes of deducting the depreciated value of minerals, the deduction does not include soil, sod, dirt, turf, water, or mosses. Okay, who would ever have thought of deducting mosses or sod? But anyway, that left us really confused. Right, there were, after all, all those farmers in Texas who seemed to have benefited what the, from what the IRS said was not possible. We encouraged the IRS to check again. They did, and they found the provision they thought didn't exist, right there in the text for Revenue Rule 65 through 296. An IRS spokesman laid out the specifics. Taxpayers are entitled to a cost depletion deduction for the exhaustion of their capital investment in the groundwater extracted and disposed of by them in their business of irrigation farming, specifically from the Ogala Formation. Seems like some follow-up questions were in order. For sure, they asked for clarification. The IRS said it would try to explain. Most importantly, they wanted to say it wasn't quite, quite as crazy as it sounded. The deduction is only available for one small part of the country, an area that includes parts of Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Colorado. 
and it should only apply if people are using water from a source that is running dry anyway. Um, you get a tax break when you use resources that are already in danger of vanishing. Yes, that's why it's called a depleted asset. It's of less and less value with every day. Your car is worth less the moment you drive it off the lot, or more similarly, oil companies track the falling value of their reserves the more they pump out from the underground. In fact, energy companies have been taking oil depletion breaks for decades. Texas landowners would say their property is getting less valuable, the less water there is to use on it. Okay, so the water is an oil, it's a commodity. Access to it is a basic, right? Yes, please say that's right. Wrong. Ouch. ProPublica last year wrote about all the ways water is coveted and controlled and then often wasted by just a few powerful groups. In most of the West, only some of the people and businesses have rights to it, depending on who showed up to claim it first. One big trend is that water is increasingly being bought and sold, including by hedge funds and by Wall Street investors, and the less water there is, the more the prices go up. Uh, about 50 years ago, a farmer in the Texas Panhandle, along with his local water district, successfully sued the IRS arguing the roughly 200 million gallons he drew from his groundwater each year was no different than the depletion of the state's other great natural resource oil. He won, and the IRS was obligated to create Rule 65 through 296, the special allowance for tax credits that the IRS almost forgot about. Again, it was just supposed to be limited just to a slice of Texas and eastern New Mexico. The court even went so far as to warn the case shouldn't become a precedent for groundwater tax claims elsewhere, saying the conditions in that area of the country were unique. But it didn't take long for the rule to be expanded, albeit just a little bit. By the mid-1980s, any landowner overlying the sprawling Ogala Aquifer, a giant aquifer underground vault of precious but dwindling water, was eligible to file for deductions, not just in Texas and New Mexico. That doesn't sound like much of a big deal. Why does it matter? Well, the Ogala, which spans from central Texas to Nebraska and South Dakota, is the nation's largest groundwater reserve and is one of the most important and famously threatened water supplies in the country. Its heavy overuse and plumbing water levels rang alarms among policymakers more than half a century ago. So this is no insignificant place to be even directly encouraging overuse. Texas's high plains are one of the most intensely irrigated and productive farming regions in the country. Hundreds of thousands of acres of cotton and corn, among other staple commodities, are grown using the Ogallaw water. So do we know what's happening to the Ogallaw where all this farming is taking place? We looked at recent water level changes in just one district, along with thousands of tax credit claims, and found a disturbing trend. Underground water levels in the 16 countries of the High Plains Underground Water Conservation District have dropped nearly 10 feet over the last 10 years. Some parts of Castro County saw their water levels drop by more than five feet over the course of 2015 alone. The federal government estimates nearly 100 cubic miles of water have been withdrawn from the Ogallaw in that part of Texas. That doesn't automatically mean that tax credits are responsible. Water levels are dropping in most places thanks to overuse, and it would take a lot more research to link up the cause and effect. But it certainly isn't a portrait of stability. Ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, that's ridiculous. And we did talk about Italy. So, I will talk about Italy. Just because the law is 
so fucked up. Italy is on the verge of the stupidest censorship law in European history. After a string of high-profile cyberbullying and revenge porn incidents, the Italian Chamber of Deputies has put forward a bill that will do nothing to prevent these abuses and everything to allow for rampant, unaccountable censorship of the Italian internet without rule of law or penalty for abuse. Under the proposed law, the site manager of Italian media, including bloggers, newspapers, and social networks, would be obligated to censor mockery based on the personal and social condition of the victim, that is, anything the recipient felt was personally insulting. The penalty for failing to take action is a fine of, oh my god, is that $100,000? 100,000 euros. euros. Yeah. 100,000 euros. Truthfulness is not a defense in suits under this law. Standard is personal insult, not falsehood. Let's start with what this won't do. It won't stop bullying, harassment, or revenge porn in Italy. The majority of services on which Italians express themselves are not based in Italy, and those with Italian sales offices, etc., can and will simply move offices rather than face a 100,000 euro fine every time someone insults someone else online. But what it will do is create a tool for easy censorship without due process or a penalty for misuse. The standard proposal in this bill is merely that the person on the receiving end of the arguments feel aggravated. Think of the abuse of copyright takedowns. Online host boards already received millions of those, more than they could possibly evaluate. And so we have a robo takedown regime that lets the rich and powerful routinely remove material that puts them in an unflattering light. As bad as this is, at least it makes censorship contingent on something specific and objective, copyright infringement, which has a wealth of case law defining its contours. Indeed, so much that you would need to be a trained expert to educate a claim of infringement. At least you can objectively access whether a copyright infringement has taken place. The standard set by the proposed Italian law allows for purely subjective claims to be made and for enormous penalties to be imposed on those who question them before undertaking sweeping acts of censorship. Like any civil law, the proposed Italian law favors the rich and powerful who are better able to afford civil litigation. Think of the notorious abuses, abuses of Britain's old libel laws that shielded the powerful, corrupt people for decades while they sexually abused children with impunity, an open secret that no one dared report on. What's more, the online outlets most likely to be in Italian jurisdiction are those that discuss Italian politics and civil society, meaning this law will disproportionately affect speech of local political interests, giving the rich and powerful, the criminals and the corrupt, the unchecked power to simply remove material that offends them without regard to whether the material is true or false. Internet-savvy Italian deputy Stefano Puntrali has proposed an amendment that makes the law marginally saner. Under his amendment, failure to act on a censorship notice wouldn't automatically give rise to a fine. Rather, it would make the person who ignored the complaint of a party to any eventual civil penalty imposed by a court of law. That is a step in the right direction, but it really is just plaster over a gaping chasm of bad reactionary lawmaking. The people who are generally aggravated will continue to struggle for justice. The genuine bad actors, like revenge porn sites, will continue with impunity out of Italian jurisdiction, and the rich and powerful will get a force multiplier for silencing their critics without meaningful penalties for abuse. The Berscalini years gave Italy a reputation for political chaos. In the post-Berscalini era, we'd hoped for better. By seriously considering ideas as bad as this one, the Italian Chamber of Deputies continues to make Italian politics into a global joke. 
Well, yeah. I mean, part of the part of the issue is the Berlusconi years. Um, <laughs> loads of his crone. He he may be uh, no longer directly um, involved, right. although he's still doing his little puppet master thing. Because yeah, yeah ha half the people in the chamber are still his cronies. So yeah, right. <laughs> it's people like Berlusconi that live pushed a lot like this through. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, people get offended by everything all the time, every day. A real adult walks away. You don't like something someone says, you walk away. You know? yeah. um, giving people the powerful to just, the power to do that is just going to screw everything up. But it's Italian law and politics has been well it's it, it, it was screwed long before Berlusconi <laughs> ended up in charge but yeah he made things a thousand times worse <laughs> you know he, he he had laws basically created for his whims it's going to take like you know even if they do end up with more sensible people in charge it's going to take them decades to get rid of all the shit he brought in um, but yeah Italian Italian politics. I mean, it's not just Italian politics. It's a joke. The their their tax system is kind of laughed at worldwide as well, because no. it's basically optional. Optional. Hardly anyone no. in Italy actually pays their taxes. I mean, well, you know, I guess if taxation is theft, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think I've said ahead. it before. There's a, a talk show. And the, the Italian ambassador to the UK on it, and they're talking to him about tax, and he's openly on on a, a British national TV network going, he basically, no, I don't pay my taxes. Why should I? And you know the the interviewer's like, well, it pays for schools and infrastructure, and he's like, no, I want to pay for school. I pay for my kids to go to school. Why do I have to pay tax to do it? <laughs> completely they just don't understand the concept well, of centralized taxation well i mean honestly if if taxation actually exists so that everybody, pay, everybody pays in for a system they use yeah i don't understand how it's optional but you know it's, it's not it's, technically optional but oh, yeah i mean the only people it, who've been prosecuted majorly for for tax evasion and the like in Italy are criminals you know the, the mafia well, here guys. we take men who write books like Peter Schiff and we stick them in jail until they die for failing to pay their taxes Yeah. even though nowhere is it said in law that you have to yeah you know he wrote a book saying you know nowhere does it say this it doesn't explain it, uh, this and that. And then he went on a, a tax protest and he spent the rest of his life in jail and died there. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I did want to do this one. It's a shame Jeannie isn't here because she would appreciate this. Um, the first thing you need to understand is where this incident took place. It's near Robert Duvall's house. And this happens quite often. A uh, woman shoots down drone. It hovered for a second, and I blasted it to smithereens. Virginian used 20-gauge shotgun against offending aircraft thought to be paparazzi. 
with a single shotgun blast, a 65-year-old woman in rural northern Virginia recently shot down a drone flying over her property. The woman, Jennifer Youngman, has lived in the Plains, Virginia, since 1990. The Farquhar Times first reported on the June 2016 incident late last week. It marks the third such shooting that Ars Technica reported on in the last 15 months. Last year, similar drone shootings took place in Kentucky and California. Youngman told Ars that she had just returned from church one Sunday morning and was cleaning her two shotguns, a 410 bore and a 20 gauge, on her porch. She had a clear view of the Blue Ridge Mountains and neighbor Robert Duvall's property, as the same Robert Duvall from The Godfather. Youngman had seen two men set up a card table on what she described as a turnaround place on a county road adjacent to her house. I'm minding my business working on my 410, and the next thing I know, I hear buzz, she said. That thing is going through the field, and they're buzzing like you would scare the cows. Um, Youngman explained she grew up hunting and fishing in Virginia, and she was well-practiced at skeet and deer shooting. This drone disappeared over the trees, and I was cleaning away. There must have been a five- or six-minute lapse, and I heard the buzz. She said, noting that she specifically used 7.5 birdshot. I loaded my 20-gauge shotgun and took the safety off, and this thing came flying over my trees. I don't know if they lost command or if they didn't have good command, but the wind picked up. It came over my airspace 25 or 30 feet above my trees and hovered for a second. I blasted it to smithereens. When the men began to walk towards her, she told them squarely, the police are up here in the plains, and they are on their way, and you need to leave. The men complied. They got in their fancy, ostentatious car, I don't know if it was a Range Rover or Hummer, and left, she said. The Times said many locals believed the drone pilots may have been paparazzi or other celebrity spotters flying near Duval's property. Youngman said that she recycled the drone but managed to still be irritated by the debris left behind. I've had two punctures in my lawn tractor, she said. The Farquhar County Sheriff's Office said it had no record of anyone formally complaining about this incident. When ours asked if the office had heard of any other similar incidents in the region, Sergeant James Hartman replied, It's happened around the country, but not in this region to my knowledge. A gray zone. For now, American law does not recognize the concept of aerial trespass. But as the consumer drone age has taken flight, legal scholars have increasingly wondered about the situation. The best case law on the issue dates back to 1946, long before inexpensive consumer drones were technically feasible. That year, the Supreme Court ruled in a case known as United v. Cosby that a farmer in North Carolina could assert property rights up to 83 feet in the air. In that case, American military aircraft were flying above his farm, disturbing his sleep and upsetting his chickens. Upsetting his chickens. As such, the court found he was owed compensation. However, the same decision also specifically mentioned a minimum safe altitude of flight at 500 feet, leaving the zone between 83 and 500 feet in a legal gray area. The landowner owns at least as much of that space above the ground as he can occupy or use in connection with the land, the court concluded. Last year, a pilot in Salinas County, California, filed a small claims lawsuit against a neighbor who shot down his drone and won. However, it's not clear whether the pilot managed to collect. Similarly, a case ensued in Kentucky after a man shot down a drone he believed was flying above his property. The shooter in that case, William Meredith, was cleared of local charges, including one endangerment. But earlier this year, the Kentucky drone pilot David Boggs filed a lawsuit asking for a federal court in Louisville to make the determination as to whether a drone flight consulted trespassing. 
Boggs asked the court to rule there was no trespass, and he therefore was entitled to damages of $1,500 for his destroyed drone. The case is still pending. Youngman said she believed in the Second Amendment rights and was also irritated that people would try to disturb Duval. The man is a national treasure and they should leave him the fuck alone, she said. I wonder if she said that to the local paper. Update, Tuesday, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Some commenters pointed out an error with respect to the type of gun used. We clarified with Youngman herself, and she said she used the 20-gauge shotgun to destroy the drone. What she refers to as a 410-gauge is also known as a 410-bore, a firearm she says she uses for squirrel hunting. We've also replaced the picture to replace the accurate shotgun. So I just thought that was... It is going to be an issue. I, yeah. I don't know how much of an issue it's going to be where you are, but it, it's definitely going to be one here because... It shouldn't everybody. really be an issue here. We already have laws in place as such. So, yeah. <laughs> well, then you are much more forward-thinking than we are, I guess. <laughs> well, the airspace has been a huge issue in the UK for quite a while. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and, you know... We've been bombed from the air quite a lot, so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we 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 we've got laws to do with that because yeah. Also, we have incredibly busy airspace in the UK because uh, mm-hmm. if you think about it, most of the transatlantic flights come over the top of us for a start. Mm-hmm. You know, any anybody flying from anywhere in Europe is passing through our airspace. Yep. So, yeah, we've we've had laws about airspace for quite some time. Well, yeah, with with the bombings, I can understand that. I guess we've just never experienced bombings. Yeah. Here. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're more um sensitive about stuff above our heads, shall we say. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Because no. yeah, I mean, the Broughton and we we have it's not as much of a problem in the U.S., but like in the U.S., we have lots of people with private pilot's licenses and their own little planes. When you live in a country as small as ours, yeah, you have to have laws about where they can fly. Mm-hmm. And drones get encompassed by those laws. So, yeah. Well, at least you've got something there. We don't quite have a framework for dealing with it yet, even though it's widespread. Well, I mean, you do you do have some of the laws we've got to do with flight corridors. It's just we've got a lot more of them. So I say, when when you've got airspace as busy as ours and as much in such a small area as ours, you need quite specifically written laws. Whereas it's not been an issue for you your country up till now because it's yeah. big, lots of space. Yeah. I mean, your cities have lots of laws about airspace, but most of the country doesn't. Yeah, rural areas. Because, yeah, because of the way your laws work. You know, a city can have its own laws, so that's fine. (laughs) But, yeah, when you go out to county and state levels, yeah, you can have completely different laws, which is, in some ways, bonkers. Uh, But I can understand why it happens. Despite what a lot of people in your country think about the population level, you have a very sparsely populated country. Mm -hmm. Well, help. I mean, there are, I've seen studies that actually talk about population of the planet. Yeah. That you could pretty much transplant them to 
the lower southern half of the United States, and everyone would have a house and a yard. Maybe not big, but everyone could have a house and a yard in that area yeah. that actually lives on the planet, which is terrifying to me because you'd reach out the window and smack your neighbor in the face. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> we're not densely packed together, whereas no. in the UK, I've seen where you guys live, and... We have a show here called like Tiny House Revolution or something where they build these little 450 square foot houses for people. Yeah. And that would be spacious to you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, the UK is notorious about the only one of the few countries that has smaller average house sizes than we do is Japan. And that's because they really do have a space issue. <laughs> well, Japan... I have a friend who is a businessman and travels there, and he talks about they they have these hotels. The module hotels, like, yeah. They have, like, a drawer. Yep. Like, you would put a corpse in, and you just kind of climb in and spend the night there. That's, it's not quite that bad. I mean, it's, I'm sure. It's, it, they're actually, for, for the size of it, it's actually impressive, the amount of stuff they can squeeze into one of those modules. Right, I'm just saying, I mean, it's... It's got HDTV and everything, I mean... <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, it's it's very small, and someone from America is used to having a bit of space. It's claustrophobic yeah. for them. So, and the Japanese, yeah, they're used to being packed in, as it were. But yeah. it's not because Japan's running it... Well, it is running out of space, but not in the way people think. It has huge areas of open stuff mm -hmm. but they'll never be built on because of you know shinto mainly and buddhism you know the, the religions there you know they have huge well, spaces but they'll never build on them because well that would insult their ancestors and they're not going to do that yeah yeah well yeah. so they cram everybody in the cities <laughs> <laughs> here you go enjoy it yeah i mean about the only place that's more densely populated than japan is um, Rio de Janeiro is, I think, the most populated place on the planet at the moment. But the Japanese aren't far behind. Tokyo is insane. <laughs> the amount yeah, of people. Not a place I want to go hang out. But, yeah, I mean, I guess this brings us back to what the fuck, Japan. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's places that have the more tightly concentrated population that tend to have, already have the lots of detailed airspace laws uh, on what you can do because yeah there's it's very annoying when you're already packed in like sardines when some asshole comes along and is annoying above your head <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. tends to get on your nerves a bit so yeah so they try to relieve that pressure before there have been some uh, hilarious things in london with property developers where some guy has discovered some new building has been built that's completely overhanging his property. And he's complained about it and discovered, well, yeah, the guy who did the property development bought airspace above your property. You know, pardon? Because <laughs> you, until that point, he didn't know that that could happen. But yeah, it can. Yeah. Literally, you know, somebody building in the space above where you live. 
it's like that is it's very rare it's it's it, it was one of those there's a glitch in the laws that somebody <laughs> took advantage of i yeah. which i believe were um closed they afterwards were closed but after that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but literally yeah. the guy had you know something built above where he lived he was like how the hell did that happen <laughs> oh because they bought the rights to the bit above the the rights to the bit above you actually belong <laughs> to the neighboring property not to your property <laughs> S some british deed lawn deeds have quite surreal things on them uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't sound any more surreal than the film Brazil. No. Okay. I guess that's it for this evening. Is is there anything that you want to talk about or I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Muppets and Advert. Muppets and Advert. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening. Good night, you guys. See you next week.